For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Morning all, had Red Tops this morning talk again of the death of little Thelma Denny, um, age five, and her two-year-old brother uh, Mikey died when the vehicle they were in was believed to have been torched in County Westmeath. Uh, the headlines in the Red Tops this morning, for instance, the mirror says, woman arrested over kids' fire death as Gardy quiz a female in her 40s about the attack they put in inverted commas that killed the siblings. A woman arrested. In fact, the mail this morning says uh, that uh, Thelma Five and brother Mikey died after the car fire earlier this month. And the woman uh, who has been arrested is understood to be known to the victims. Uh, it's very, very sad. Uh, other papers this morning say a woman suspected the involvement of the blaze was being quizzed by Gardy last night. Um, that's uh, the top story and much of the red tops today. Some of the broadsheets actually have uh, quite varying front and inside pages, uh, thankfully, because it's good to get uh, a good assortment of stories. Like, for instance, the examiner this morning is flagging and warning. I don't know whether forewarned is forearmed or what the heck to make of this twindemic that they're talking about that's coming this winter. The twindemic would be flu, a very serious flu outbreak. Um, I guess they can track these and, and graph them, so that's what medics can do. So they're talking about potentially the first serious flu outbreak in years, as well as a return uh, of high COVID case numbers and hospitalizations. Uh, I'd, I'd be the last person that wants to start revisiting any kind of COVID-related stories. I would hope we were leaving all of that in the past, but they're saying that we need to be on some kind of alert um, for the winter ahead for this twindemic. And some of the quotes are coming from Professor Trish Carney from UCC, and she seriously knows her stuff. So it's an inside page story making the uh, examiners today. The Cork Independence front page, alarmingly, uh, care sector workers feel that they have to, and who could blame them, uh, you know, down tools and, and go on strike because they haven't had a pay increase in 14 years. And the work that's done by care workers is just so important, and it should be rewarded, really and truly, and and hasn't been for decades now. I mean, I can go way back to when people originally started working in home help. They were getting absolute peanuts. And I often said it that um, a lot of it had to do with the fact that they were just, they stayed so quiet about it. And they were the unsung heroes, if you like. Um, so we're talking about home helps, I guess, and nursing home staff and people working with uh, vulnerable people and uh, disabled people with disabilities in the disability sector. So care sector workers. An example is given in the Cork Independent this morning, like Enable Ireland workers in Corraheen will join many organizations across five counties uh, who will uh, strike tomorrow, Friday. Uh, and certainly the strike will impact here on, on Leaside. And then uh, the rental property issue that we've been talking about quite a lot recently. I was telling you yesterday that 50% of the homes and, and uh, flats and apartments that are on the market for sale now are actually landlord-owned exiting the rental market. Now, Owen English revisits a story, actually, that he dealt with some time back, and that is the amount of properties around UCC that continue to avoid registering registering with the uh, Residential Tenancy Board, the RTB, which is the law. and You're breaking the law if you're not registered with them. So he says that over a third of private rented properties near UCC are not registered with the Tenancy Board. And they did a sample check of 300 private rented properties near UCC and found that almost 100 had not been registered with the RTB by landlords. And in some cases, uh, this uh, these have been flagged and um, apparently had been tracked as far back as 2017 and weren't registered even back in 2017. So landlords, you have to wonder, what's the reason behind it? Is it to avoid tax? 
Um, you know, because what other reason? Because the RTB gives rights to the landlord as well as the tenant. So what valid, valid reason could be given uh, for ignoring it? Papers, this morning then, of course, talk of energy costs. And um, if you were to go on the air and say to people, ah, listen, if you can't afford to heat the home, then you should be hanging out in pubs and restaurants where you'll be kept warm. That would sound rather condescending, wouldn't it? But yet, um, this could be a way for people uh, to uh, cut down on their own energy bills by piggybacking on others. Like there's an exclusive, they say, story in this morning's Star where they say, bars welcome guests to beat energy costs. Punters urged to heat up in the local boozer. Now, I don't know whether they're suggesting that you go into the pub and, you know, you dawdle for a couple of hours over a pot of tea. Somebody else suggested to me this morning, I think Seamus said, ah, you'd be more than likely to have a hot whiskey. Problem with that is you'd want a second or a third. Uh, But punters are being urged to warm themselves in their local bar this winter as publicans fear 40% of pub goers could stay at home to save money as the energy bill soars. So turn off the heating, go to the pub, instead of spending it on energy costs and fuel, spend it on a few pints. I don't know if it makes sense to you. Text 0868104106. We've heard of the Garda in the Garda car that was rammed above in uh, Ballyfermot in Dublin. Um, has uh, been quoted in the papers as saying, at least I'm still alive. But arm Gardaí, more and more armed patrols have gone into the area um, in Ballyfermot uh, since uh, midweek. Arm Gardaí uh, have been hauled in to tackle thugs rampaging in stolen cars and terrorising the community. Now we know that the Garda vehicle was being driven by two Garda, two female officers incidentally. I don't know if they've arrested any of these characters yet. I think that's what the public want to see because there's a lot of other kind of crime related stories but this is crime within the prisons if you like. The use of drones to smuggle in produce, for want of a better term. Um, and it has been happening. It, Cork Prison is not quoted in this. Uh, I'm not suggesting that people aren't using drones trying to drop uh, phones or, or drugs or whatever into Cork Prison. But John Jumbo Cairns this morning quotes Mount Joy, Wheatfield, the Midlands and Port Leash. They've all got a massive tech upgrade now. And the prison authorities are saying that they can take down the drones. Don't know how. They can take down the drones, but they have the technology to do it. Because apparently, for a number of years, inmates were getting drugs and weapons and mobile phones dropped by drone bags into the prisons, I guess into the exercise yard area. Uh, And prison staff last year alone seized 1,369 phones, 1,518 halls of drugs and 292 weapons. It doesn't say whether they were all drone dropped or not. Papers also today, of course, talk about a, another type of crime, and that's a crime against women. Did you know that there are websites that let men rate and review women who they've had sex with, who they paid for sex? Um, I think that's disgusting. It's, it's horrible. And maybe people don't know it about it. They, they, um, a sex worker says that they'll rate you out of five stars and then they'll write down their little comments saying what they thought of the experience and share it with others like it's like leaving a restaurant review isn't it or a hotel review and one woman in the article in the independent describes her four years in the sex trade as being willingly raped for cash in other news and it's not all well I mean, it depends on what side of the fence you are with regards to the um, the uh, wag of the Christie argument but apparently It's not over, you know. Uh, And this morning the sun says, here, wag, go again. Because Colleen Rooney and Rebecca Vardy may have resolved things in court in favour of Colleen Rooney. 
But the legal battle now continues over the legal fees. Because originally we had been told that they estimated the legal fees against Rebecca Vardy at about €850,000. Pounds, whatever you want to call it, in and around that amount. But it's far from 850 now. Colleen Rooney has now uh, increased her fees against Vardy to 1.7 million. So I'll have to see if that ends up being played out in, in court. I mean, they need to stop this, don't they? Particularly at a time when people really are struggling so badly. It was bad enough, the two of them in court, without this now arguing over fees and doubling the fees and sticking more pins in each other. Uh, and of course, uh, the cafe that banned the pyjamas... Papers love that story, and why wouldn't they? This is a, a vexed cafe owner that I told you about yesterday. We'll have more on this a little later on with the Vox uh, from the streets of Cork. But Kira Burke owns the Sage and Stone Cafe and caused a storm when she posted her no pyjamas allowed. If you don't know about it, I'll dig back into the story a little later on. Two women came in. She's got a cafe. And uh, I might try and give her a ring and see if she's taking calls. But um, she's got a cafe and a gift shop. And in they came in pyjamas, slippers, and a bathrobe. The two of them had a good look around the gift shop and they'd sat down and had breakfast. She subsequently made a new rule in the cafe saying, I'm taking a stand, no more pyjamas. Um, and, and she's actually saying that it's, it's not as if, you know, it's, it's not as if she's saying, oh my God, uh, I don't want people in pyjamas. The poor misfortunes don't have the price of a pair of jeans or the price of a top. She says, everybody has some form of clothes. It doesn't have to be pyjamas. So stop making statements like that. Uh, so it's quite interesting. She says the the reaction on social media, of course, you know the way that's always going to be. Um, a lot of it can be toxic. Uh, she took down the post because she got an awful lot. Of, she got some grief, but the vast majority of people um, said to her, "Good for you." Well done for taking a stand. More of this, please. And the reaction I got yesterday morning was somewhat the same. And and then social media figures with regards to ITV and their morning show and a very distraught Holly Willoughby and Philip Schofield. They're getting trolled relentlessly, apparently. Uh, And I was told last night at home that something like 40-odd thousand people have signed a petition now uh, to have them sacked. Uh, But they have the full support of their bosses on TV. They were accused of skipping the queue to see the Queen. If you saw the photographs, they were in an entirely different line. Their line was not the line of people who were waiting for 9, 10, 13, 15 hours. I think David Beckham waited for for 13 hours in line and people were incensed about that I mean you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't so they were in a media queue and they shouldn't have been you know the penny should have dropped and they should have said ah this is stupid we can't do this look at all these people waiting some people were queuing up in wheelchairs and some people were there with you know assistance dogs and there were like all sorts of people you know they really put in a big effort to queue but anyway so and the, so that's one side of the story the other one then is Beckham who did queue for 13 hours right he queued and queued and queued and queued and then he got grief. <laughs> Online. Beckham gets grief. People are saying, ah, he only did that because he wants a knighthood. Oh my God, he's not genuine. So in that world, online, you'll never be able to win. From online to inside the womb. Isn't that a great story? The Mirror is saying that unborn babies can taste the food that their mammies are eating. Now, I won't get into the technical research into this, but apparently they took different vegetables in powder form, right? And put them into capsules. And then they monitored the baby in the womb as mammies swallowed and ate different types of food. Like, for instance, they said babies in the womb grimace when their mammies eat kale. And babies in the womb smile when their mammies eat carrots. Something must have happened to me because I detest carrots and I love kale. Maybe it's different in the womb. So I think it's fantastic. They're using 4D ultrasonic scans 
and they um, scanned 100 pregnant women as they ate. I don't know if they got down to pizza, yeah, or chicken nuggets and chips and stuff that kids love or spag ball or whatever. But anyway, it's an interesting one because at the same time, and if it's happening in the UK, it'll be happening here. By the year 2060, 8 in 10 people in the UK will be obese and overweight. And much of it has to do, obviously, with the food that we eat. Yeah, it could do with more exercise, but by and large... It's the food that you eat. And one interesting story, because we were talking about a lot of religious matters yesterday and heaven and hell and religion in the schools and what have you. One story I didn't get to is um, Mae Dunphy. A great time for Mae Dunphy. I think she's a serious pro. Um, she um, had a very sad loss recently in the sense that her mother died. Um, and she lost her mom to cancer earlier this year. And she was finding it difficult to accept that her beloved man was gone. It was much highlighted in the newspapers at the time. But I wonder how much of this is happening because she now has been preyed on by psychics who are constantly contacting her. She says, I've had five messages from various psychics asking me if I'd like to contact my mum. And of course, you pay the psychics. And I know that people do. And it's popular here in Cork, something that I've dealt with on the air in the past. But it really seems to me to be preying on the, on the, on the bereaved, to be preying on those that are mourning. Don't you? Text 0868104106. The number one talk show in Cork. If it's happening in Cork, Neil is talking about it. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. Let me start with uh, yesterday's programme. We covered a lot of the ground yesterday, but at one stage, we got a very upset and very emotional Dan on the air regarding his beautiful dog, Boo, who was very unwell and was totally just thrown there for the last few days and very sick. Now, Dan wasn't in a position to take Boo to uh, the vet because he uh, recently had some serious operations, including uh, hip operations, and Boo's a big dog, uh, the Belgian Shepherd, big dog, so he couldn't lift her. But he did call, he said, many, many, many vets and none of them would do a call out. Do you recall that? He was on the air with me. Um, and we came to his aid and the great people of Cork came to his aid. And at one stage, Edward, who's got his own van, was going to pick up Boo and take Boo to deck the vet at Douglas Veterinary Clinic in Douglas Woolen Mills. Right. And that was fine. And then we got on to deck the vets in Douglas and they were waiting for Boo to arrive and that was fine. And then uh, Vincent Cashman from the CSPCA, who's always brilliant on the end of the phone, uh, got in touch and said that the uh, CSPCA dog van would bring Boo. And that happened. And Boo was brought yesterday to deck the vets in Douglas Woolen Mills. But I have sad news this morning, lads. Unfortunately, Boo had to be put to sleep yesterday afternoon, which is very, very sad. Vincent joins me by phone. Vincent, good morning. Good morning, yes. Thanks so much. Um, listen, it wasn't for the want of trying, and many other people also wanted to come and help yesterday morning. Uh, so everything that could have been done for Boo was done. But what happened? Why was Boo put to sleep? I think from the, the bits of information that I garnered yesterday, uh, Boo had recovered from cancer a number of years ago. That's right. Dan told us that. But unfortunately, he came back with a vengeance. And um, Deck in fairness now uh, decided. Look, the kindest thing to do here was to um, put the put poor Boo out of his out of his misery yeah. and put him to sleep. Yeah, yeah, very sad. Now, were you there for that? I mean, you dropped Boo off. No, in fairness, now it, it was um, two of our dog wardens, Dave and Barry. Yeah, uh, went over and did the run yesterday and um, brought the dog in, and then um, the veterinary people took over. 
and they would make the decision then going on the information they have. Absolutely. And, and you know De- you know yeah. Deck, don't you? He's a wonderful vet. He's a super guy. In fact, in fact, I got a lovely email in. It's a very sad email, but, it, you know, Noreen and Dan uh, are just too upset to come on air this morning, but they did send me an email. So if you don't mind, i just read it. It says, Dear Neil, our beautiful dog Boo was put to sleep yesterday afternoon. His cancer returned and had spread throughout him. We're truly heartbroken. Both Dan and myself would like to thank all of those that helped us with Boo yesterday. Yourself, Neil, and all the team at Red FM. Edward, what an amazing guy you are. All of your listeners who offered their assistance. And the CSPCA, thank you to the two men and came and were so kind and gentle to Boo. The work you do is really incredible. And to the Veterinary Village Clinic, Douglas, who looked after Boo in his final hours. Thank you to Vet Declan for the very professional way you explained everything to me. You were amazing. Can I just say, Neil, that Boo gave us amazing memories, which we are truly grateful for, and he is now at peace. Kind regards, Noreen and Dan. I think that was a lovely thing to do, wasn't it? Send that. Uh, it was, yeah. And a lovely photograph of Boo. Big, big dog. In his prime, super fit dog. Um, uh, the, the backstory to this, apparently, is that Boo was born on October 26, 2014, the same day that Dan's niece died in the UK. And Boo apparently was trained as a search and rescue dog, but never made the grade. So Dan's wife, Noreen, went to Leash to collect him, and he's been part of the family since. Um, thanks to Neil, Boo has been placed in the care that he should have... Anyway, that just that's the lovely backstory to it. But yesterday, of course, the cancer decision, well, the cancer diagnosis meant that the kindest thing was to be put to sleep. Why, why, why would Dan be calling and calling so many vets who don't do call-outs, Vincent? Any idea? Um, we'll say, especially during COVID, Neil, many vets were not doing call-outs to private homes. Yeah. Right, and it's it's something that it has, has stuck with many that they don't do it, and especially if if we'll say if they, if they if there's something more serious, we'd say you get a call out to a dog, the dog may still have to go to a surgery. So they're they're putting out um, they're making their job a little bit easier, and I, there is a bit of sense to it where the animal is not probably treatable at home. Yeah, even if somebody so says, I can't lift the dog, um, I'm a pensioner, I've had uh, serious surgery. Um. Well, sometimes, look, it, it all depends, um, and it all depends on the weight of the dog as well. Some people would be um, a bit wary of lifting a heavier dog, you know? So it's it's just one of those things, I'm afraid, that that's has... You know, it's it's getting more prevalent. But yeah, because I thought it was a societal thing myself, to be honest, that vets don't do call-outs, just like many, many doctors no longer do call-outs. They used to when I was a kid, but don't anymore, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's just for, if, if there's something else to be done to the dog, it, it's better for the, the dog to be in the surgery so the vet has the equipment, mm. the uh, medication, whatever, at hand, mm. rather than arriving to the house and saying, look, I need this, I need that, I need the other thing. So there could be going back and forth, whereas everything is in one central place. Yesterday was a great example of the kindness of Cork people, I have to say. I'm sure you'd agree with that. But because everybody is very passionate and very fond of dogs, not only our own, but others as well. So it was a lovely thing to see people coming to to the help of Noreen and Dan yesterday, and you as well. So thanks to all your people also, Vincent. I do appreciate you getting involved. No problem at all. Sad enough as it is. Take care of yourself. Um, On a lighter note with regards to dogs... (laughs) Paul was telling me this morning at home before it came out, apparently, that Brian O'Driscoll brought the wrong dog home from the dog groomers. And A.B. Huberman put it up on her uh, Instagram, apparently. She says she just can't stop crying with laughter. Uh, Brian goes to the groomers to collect the dog, takes the wrong dog home. 
Um, <laughs> she says that he needs an oil top-up at laser eye surgery, or maybe he needs to go to Specsavers. Uh, but apparently she's saying they're going to think twice about letting Brian O'Driscoll pick the kids up from school next week for fear that he brings the wrong kids home. God knows I've had those stories in the past. Uh, I remember, actually, I might get him to tell the story if you don't remember it. Years and years and years and years ago, um, Mammies used to go into town uh, with the babies. There was no such thing as those funky little buggies that you see now, the ones that cost twelve and thirteen hundred bucks and fold up, and you can put them in your handbag, kind of a thing. Uh, back in the day, it was big, huge prams with massive wheels and huge, big, massive, uh, you know, um, cradles on top of them, huge things. They had suspension springs and everything, and they'd be lined up outside Rocha stores with babies in them literally just a big long line of prams I'm sure it would have been the same outside of the other shops around Cork uh, and the mammies then and it was mammies no issue saying that uh, would go off shopping inside in Roach's stores the babies were left outside and then they come out and uh, go back to their pram <laughs> take the babies home until um, they look at the wrong pram or somebody's got two prams that look alike and they end up taking the wrong babies home I'd love for people to share those kind of stories in fact I might even flip our competition for the next few days with regards to stories like that. Uh, I know of other ones then where people got a new car and parked it somewhere and forgot that they had a new car and spent forever looking for the old car kind of thing. But anyway, those kind of uh, stories, please. Text 86 Uh We got some great prizes again today and tomorrow. A 500 euro voucher from the Furniture Centre on the Watercourse Road in Blackpool. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. All right, back to the phone lines we go. Paul Amani's on one. Paul, good morning. Now, Paul, uh, I'm good. Now, um, I think I spoke to you before, um, perhaps on a couple of occasions. One had to do with your own homeless situation. And more recently, your brother, Jamie, who, along with another couple of men, young men, were in a house in Copley Place and got eviction notice to quit. Um, just on the Copley Place part of the story, are they gone from the property now? Um, they are, Neil. Um, Jamie left the property one day. He could go somewhere. And when he came back, the locks were changed on the door. What about all of his gear inside in it then? What happened afterwards? Um, see, he, they sent him up to their park. Um, just through the pile as well. And when he got up there, Neil... Vincent the Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was infested with silverfish. Um, so Jamie then went back down to the property in Copley Place. Infested with um, silverfish. That happens because of dampness, doesn't it? Dampness and humidity and stuff like that. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Um, but Jamie, Jamie, you know, he, he obviously has a phobia into his house. Yeah, and the lads he, in there, they all had their own medical issues, and and uh, but they were they were tipping away quite nicely. So they're gone from Copley Place. Do you know if somebody has moved in? Well, there's definitely someone moved in. It's it's a woman with three kids moved in. Okay, well, we won't um, say much well, more than that. So it's a, a, a family have moved in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you you don't you don't know whether it was because people were saying at the time that it was a it was going to Ukrainian refugees. We we don't know that. I uh, can't clarify that. No. Okay. Okay. So where is Jamie now? Jamie, um, the other night, I think it was Sunday night. He wouldn't stay in the room in their park because the infestation, the bed, the bed and everything, they were calling all over that. 
So he left the room and he went down to the sitting room, uh, the TV room, and he was going to fall asleep on the couch. And the staff inside, they rang the guards and he had to sleep rough that night. Is this shared accommodation that's provided by St. Vincent de Paul in a, in a, a home where people share the home? It is, Neil. Okay. There's, there's about 55 people residents inside there. Okay, it's a bigger property than a house then, okay. Uh, yeah. So, the guards were called. He was told if he goes, doesn't use the bedroom, he has to leave. And he left. Yeah, yeah he had to leave. He couldn't sleep in that bed. See, it, it, it's, you know, he, he's a phobia, these things. And he just wasn't able to sleep in the bed, you know. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. So, is he homeless now? He's back in the Vincent's hostel no Neil he's back in Vincent's okay which was which was there was a verbal promise made to Jamie that he would never end up here again mm. but you know yeah. that's a verbal promise you know okay it's still broken now are you in Vincent's I am okay I am alright weren't you in a house weren't you put in a house that was condemned I was, I was the, the APS the place finder over in the City Council, they put me in there. It was condemned by the, wasn't it condemned by the county fire officer? It was, it was, okay. it was. Um, okay. it just, the council put me in there and the fire officer told us to leave. He said, a year, nine months later, he said the place is a danger to life. Yeah. Wasn't there some dodgy stairs in it and everything, if I remember, wasn't there? There was, Neil. Yeah. There was a fellow date in there. Yeah. It was around 2017. I remember I it. I remember it, the misfortunate man. So yeah. you have now put Cork City Council housing on notice, and the Taoiseach as well, that you and another chap are going on hunger strike on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's, like I'm in this system, Neil, for seven years. Seven years too long. You went to the council, they'll tell you it's not long term. Well, do you know Seven years because isn't long term, they're saying. They're telling me that you won't be in the emergency accommodation long term. Right. Do you know, and there's a 65 year old man here, he has his own medical needs and stuff, and he's here three years solid. They have moved him. Um, there's another lad, he's 71, he's, he's suffering with his own mental health and stuff, and I can go down another road with you with that. Um, I'd be, he, I'd be slow to unless I know the backstory in advance, you know? Yeah, he's yeah. here nine years, Neil. Uh, on Anglesey Street? Yeah, he's here nine years. He hasn't budged, budged out of this building in nine years. Has he his own little room? He was own little cell, as yeah. I'd call it. Yeah, yeah. What's it like in there? I, I hear it's not the greatest, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's a lot of people bringing in drink and drugs and stuff. Is that right? It's, it's a drug haven anyway, number one, Neil. You know, so if if you're suffering as an addict, and anyone that is, and they come into a place like this, it's a drug haven. And um, if you're trying to stay off it, this is a serious it, temptation. It's going, it's going to be impossible for anyone to stay off drugs inside in a building like this. Yeah. Um, it's demoralizing because in this day and age, you to live in these conditions. You know, like. Like I said in the last show, you get up in the morning to brush your teeth and you vomit inside the sinks then. I've been sent photographs of the bathrooms, the sinks, the showers. Yeah. Um, not To put it kindly, not the greatest. But when you've got so many different people using them constantly, you're always going to have people who aren't going to respect them, you know? 
Yeah, no, like you, you the showers. No, I think there's four running showers for seventy three minutes. Like yeah, that. you see what I mean. It's just not suitable. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there is a lot of showers in him, but like you said, there's only four. What do you Walking. do for what do you do for food? They cook food in here, Neil. But you know, the food isn't the greatest either. I've tried it. What's wrong with it? It's it, it's most of the stuff. Most of the lads won't eat it because they believe it's gone off, and they've seen the chef in there. Right, then we won't get personal about any of the people working in there now. In fairness, because yeah, they're not yeah, here to defend yeah. themselves. But what okay. kind of food? Like, what would the what would the, what would the dinners be like? Yesterday they cooked burgers, um, which is just a burger on its own, um, with baby potatoes and frozen veg. Right. Um, and for the lunch, it's only think what they had now for the lunch again. Any any so kind of any kind of an a example. Ho- a hot dog for the lunch it was. Hot dog for lunch. Um, a burger patty with baby potatoes and veg. For dinner. Did you get breakfast? Uh, I I don't get up for the breakfast at all. All right. Okay. So you don't know what that no. is. Yeah. No. It's not great, but it could be a it could be a hell of a lot worse. It could be any like, but at the end of the day, like I said, the living conditions inside here are absolutely appalling. I've raised. I've raised these issues with the manager and say that I've raised them with the council. Um, I've been told that work is going to be done and there's nothing happening. Yeah. But the, um, chap, who's se- the chap who's 75, is he the chap that's been there seven years? He's been here nine years. Nine years. Yeah. So he's been nine there years. since he was 66. Yeah. So there's very little chance of him ever moving out of there. No, but that's the thing, Neil. Like... I'm in out of the system seven years myself, like, and there's 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 a lot of people inside here, and from what I can see, we're left here to rot, you know, and like it's if like that's not good enough, yeah, you know? yeah. The minister, the housing minister, the government, they're, they're they're failing the people of this country, and it's an absolute disgrace what yeah. they're doing. You see, the cost of rent now is so astronomical that without some sort of help or assistance, whether it's HAP or um, provided with housing, people like that having to hope. Um, yeah, but so, Neil, they, they drove up the housing, the price of housing. Here, here's so, what's happening with new bills now in new housing estates, right? The council are outbidding people and the council are actually buying entire housing estates, new builds. Like there could be 15, 20, 25 houses in a different stage of building. Um, you know, they have different phases, phase one, phase two, phase three. So each phase could have maybe 25, 30 houses. The council are buying all of those in one job lot and they're great to pay. And there's only one solicitor when the builder is involved with the council rather than 25 solicitors and 25 engineers and 25 snag lists. So builders love selling to the council because it's easier. But it's the council. Easy money. Yeah. But in the last seven years... What have you done with your life to try and make it better? Because I know people will be listening to this asking. Well, Neil, I was first came in these doors seven years ago, um, which was a place I didn't want to be in. No one wants to be here. Um, I've been looking at properties and stuff and trying to get out here since then. I've been put into B&Bs. I've been on the circles, you know, one around grounded circles. Then eventually, two years ago, um, I I got a half property 
through the APS inside the council. Yeah. And, you know, that was an unsafe building that I was put into. It was at the end of the life and they, they threw me back out and here I am now again. Yeah, yeah. And have so you like, tried to do anything to better yourself, though? Neil, you can, you know, you can try, try your best in, inside a place like this, but like I said, it's demoralising enough being here. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's like if it's it's all destroying. It's all destroying, like you know, because it's it's the system is failing us, and it's it's failing a lot. It's failing for years, and the government are doing nothing about it. You know, like if the system is failing, uh, they should drag it down to the ground and rebuild it again from the ground mm-hmm. up, which they're not doing. Okay, so on Wednesday then, what's the plan? The plan is, like I've sent on the emails and stuff to the housing minister and um, the housing director in City Hall. Um, I made demands that if if, they, if they're not going to house me, then I'm going on hunger strike next week. On Wednesday? On Wednesday, yeah. Okay. Because, like, they're failing us. And if it's going to take this to, do the, to, to get people talking about it, number one, because there's not enough people talking about it. And to highlight the fact that the, the government are failing the people. So you will you will refuse threat. food from Wednesday um, in St. Vincent's? Yeah, and if they want to take me out of the Vincent's in a box, they can do that. And is there another chap doing the same? There is another a 65-year-old man. He's also going to go on hunger strike on Wednesday? Yeah. Have you had any response to your emails or contact with the housing in Cork City Council? Nothing. Okay. Nothing at all, Neil. But they're hiding behind closed doors. Okay. Which is they, do you I think that they do. think you're bluffing, maybe? Well, if they think I'm bluffing, they have another thing coming because I will go the whole way with this. Okay. I'm 100%, I'm, I'm 100% on this. Because, like I said, they're failing the people. They, this, this is our country, Neil, and... It's been driven into the ground. People now need to get up and fight, fight their corner. I get to like look at the times there, Neil, when Irish water came along, and you know, people got up, and the people have a lot of power, Neil. Yeah, but you see, there's a forgotten Ireland as well of which you're in. You know, not not yeah. not everybody is affected like you are. So there's not the same general anger well Irish Water was an example of where everybody got angry because it affected every single person homelessness doesn't yeah but you see it's just an example Neil what the people can do when they stand up okay. you know okay okay um, alright like, I'm not going to give up on it because it's it's, it's a disgrace alright well I hope years and the system's too long and for fun to be here for nine years at 71 years of age is an absolute disgrace as well. So the oldest resident would be 75? Is there older? Um, the oldest resident inside in this building is 82 years of age. 82. And yeah. without wanting to know anything about that gentleman, is he happy or unhappy there? Um, I would assume that he's unhappy here. Yeah. Yeah. No one wants to be here, Neil, you know. Okay, okay, okay. Listen, Paul, um, I will stay in touch with you and certainly we'll have an opportunity to chat before next Wednesday, okay? 
Yeah, yeah, right. just no bother, Neil. All right, my man. Look no after yourself for now, all right? Thanks, bye. Cheers, Paul. Paul Amani. Text 0868-104-106. Call's on the way. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Text on this already. It's like a life sentence for the poor men. Shame on the government. Uh, Neil, it's so sad to hear that poor boy. What is the country coming to? Uh, another person wondering, where do the people get the money for drugs? They get their social welfare payment. If you're in Vincent's, if you're in Simon, you have an address, if you have a room there and you're entitled to social welfare. And unfortunately, we all know the stories of people who are addicted to drugs and what happens. Uh, their cards, their PPS cards, whatever the case may be, are held by drug dealers. They're given back to them on the morning of their dole. Uh, they go in and get the dole in the post office. They come out, they give the money to the drug dealers. The drug dealers give them drugs and they hold on to their to their cards until the next week and the cycle goes on and on. Uh, Neil, uh, I have to tell you that hostel is a hellhole. Uh, text 0868104106 to say that the system is broken is an understatement. There are many different systems going on in Ireland. You can talk about issues regarding housing and rent and homelessness and you can talk about uh, issues involving healthcare and state of our hospitals but also of course education. Um, I don't know whether you know it or not but they're actually ringing around now uh, trying and, I suppose, coaxing or maybe even begging teachers to mark the junior cert papers. Right now, phone calls have been made asking people, will they uh, correct junior cert papers? Uh, hard to believe, isn't it? Um, hard to believe for students who put so much effort and families who put so much effort into education and making sure that their sons or daughters do the best they can and do the best exams they can when they're scrambling then and panicking within the Department of Education, trying to phone people to ask them, uh, to mark the junior cert papers. So, system broken in many different facets. Just a quick one this side of, of 10 o'clock. Amy, good morning. Hey, how are you doing? As a single parent, you did manage to buy your own home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Was it, I think you said in your text it was before prices went nuts, is it? Yeah. Uh, I'd say if I was two months later into the market, like this house would have been out of, um, out of my price range. Okay. How would you manage to do it? Because uh, you'd be pinned to your collar anyway. Um, literally saving, like not not spending um, anything. I moved really, really rural as well. So yeah. like the property I bought, you know, in turn I had to sacrifice. I had a three-hour daily commute for three years. So Oh, my God. Um, so were you working as well or was that getting to and from schools or what? Um, I was working full-time, yeah. So working full-time, I, I had a son in, in crash. So it was a case of getting up, get, getting him to crash driving further on to work and repeating it then to get home. But you did it. You, you did it. Yeah. You, you, must yeah have felt, you must have felt a great sense of satisfaction having your own roof and having your own home that you were all, of course, you were paying a mortgage on it. But you know what I mean? It must have been a great feeling. Yes. Um, you know, I, I don't have, you know, the, the stress of always oh, a landlord going to sell. So, you know, thankfully, it's, it's one thing. I'm, I'm really grateful that, that I managed to get the house. Okay. Um, so your text then spoke about um, mortgage uh, switching and trying to top up the mortgage. Did you want work done or something, was it? Yeah, so like I'd, I'd advise everyone um, to, to be switching and kind of uh, just having a look. The rates are still somewhat reasonable for people switching and there's a lot of banks doing 3% uh, cash back on the mortgage. So you know, they get 2% cash back within two months of, of switching and then 1% okay. cash back in five years. So it is, it just work out financially better for, for people to move at the minute. See, um, a lot of people mightn't even know. They might think that they're locked into a particular bank or building society for life. But just like, say, energy and utility companies, you can switch and get better deals. 
You can, like a lot of the time people might be in a fixed contract and think they have to pay the bank to draw down, but a lot of the banks are waiving those charges. Um, I inquired about it myself and, and there was no um, there was no fee to, uh, to draw down. I ended up switching in February um, of this year. Luckily, I, I switched from a 3.1 rate to a 1.95 rate. Oh my God, that's incredible saving then. Yeah, I think it's about forty or fifty grand savings. Um, Over the course of the of the mortgage. Yeah, Amy, that's fantastic. Yeah, so as I say, like it, it definitely is worth people moving. But then I actually I contacted so um, because my mortgage is relatively low. I was looking at topping up the mortgage, and I kind of worked out what I'd be paying extra, and um, to top it up if it went in on the same rate. Yeah, and um, it it would be affordable. You know, I'd have to tighten the belt a little bit, but. Um, contacted them then yesterday to be told that um, their lending rates have actually changed. So from sometime between February to now, um, you are required to be, for a single applicant, you need to be on a minimum of €50,000 to qualify um, to even be eligible to try get a mortgage. Yeah. And their lending rates have changed from three and a half times your earnings to two and a half times your earnings. So what that means, somebody that's on €50,000 can get a max mortgage of €125,000 for a house. Yeah, it's 125 grand. So it's it's useless yeah. for anybody around 50, yeah. 55, 60, 65, 70 grand. Even even anybody even close to 100 grand. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, Unless like you have substantial savings. Definitely. Yeah. My my concern then is um, you know, if if this is what one bank is doing is this coming down the pipeline with all of them. What did it used to be? It was substantially more than two and a half times salary, wasn't it? it was three, three and a half times your salary and like there was, if you were on 20 grand, you could get a mortgage but you'd only get three and a half times, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's no minimum, uh, minimum cap there. So I mean, the, the housing market is already tight enough and, you know, prices are gone crazy without them now changing lending criteria to two and a half times because in a suburban area, you're certainly talking about 300 grand, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Not, um, not the 125 that the bank are going to give you. Yeah, now I, I don't know what their lending criteria is for a joint couple, but we'd say even if you have like a... And bearing in mind, that's 125,000 before they include like if you have a car loan, if you have, you know, oh, a credit card. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when you look at all of them and they also deduct if you have children as well. That's so. the most amazing one. They do deduct if you have children. The amount they lend you lowers because they figure that, well, a lot of your expense, you might be on 50 or 70 grand, but a huge chunk of that will go on the rearing and the upkeep of the children, isn't it? Yeah, what they also then don't take into account is if you're in receipt of child maintenance, um, they say, well, the maintenance is for the child. And it's like, okay, that's fair enough. I can appreciate that. But why are you still deducting the amount for my earnings when it's... You won't include the maintenance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating. It's frustrating for couples, but very frustrating for a single person, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Had you planned on doing a bit of work on the house, was it? Yeah, I wanted to, like, there's, um, you know, the the market at the moment, the way it's going, um, it's a case of kind of sitting idly by and, and just waiting. Um, you know, there, there there is a crash more or less going to happen. I think everyone's aware of that. You're spot on there, girl. I'm not sure the timing is right for house renovations at the moment because materials are very expensive. But I am hearing, yeah, I am hearing that people have stopped doing a lot of work and that builders actually are saying it's gone very quiet. 
Yeah, so what's, what's happening in, in my line of work, you know, I, I deal with a lot of builders in construction. Um, so there's a lot of them are, are kind of finishing off jobs at the minute. Um, they would have had work lined up that they might have priced, you know, 10 months ago. Yeah. But now they're having to go back to those people and say, sorry, it's no longer 20 grand, it's actually going to be 35 grand. That's right, yeah. Um, the, the work is, um, they're losing the work over it. So, you know, it's a case that I was trying to look into, you know, topping up my mortgage. Not right now, but just having, you know, all my ducks in order for the next 12 to 18 yeah. months. yeah. Yeah. And then when the crash does happen, you know, I'll, I'll go in and, and get my work done at a reasonable rate. Well, listen, uh, I'm out of time for now, but you're a savvy punter. Fair play to you. I hope things work out. Thanks for sharing that information, though, Amy. Cheers for now. Take care. Yeah, uh, lines open. Text 0868 We're back after 10. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Thanks to everybody who gets in touch, uh, not just by text here, but also on my own Instagram page. I got a lovely text from Peter, a truck driver. He says, just wanted to say, as a truck driver on the road all day, every day, the radio is the only bit of company in a world full of negativity at the moment. Uh, I must say, I do enjoy your slot in the morning, especially the first date segments you've been doing all week and the great stories that people have been telling. I especially enjoyed yesterday's show and fair play for what you did for Boo the Dog. Keep up the good work. You pass away my mornings with a smile on my face and the show isn't as heavy as all the others. That's a dedicated listener, the truck driver Peter Wilkins. Thank you for that on Instagram. It's a lovely thing to say, not just for me, but for the entire team, and we do appreciate it. Big shout-out and congratulations to Mark O'Mahony, the grandson of Sheila, the Golden Girls. Mark scored a hat-trick for Ireland's under-19s in Wales last night. Well done, Mark. Fair play to you. Hat-trick. It's dream of every soccer player, I'd say. I heard a man mention about paying two euro for a litre bottle of water in a petrol station. Actually, it was two forty and it was a two litre bottle of water in a petrol station. The point there is that they make tiny money on petrol in petrol stations. Tiny money. They only make a couple of cent per litre apparently they were telling me. So the markup then on everything else they sell inside in the shop is higher than anywhere else. Anyway, Texter says, I paid €11.75 for three bottles of 330 Milliliters. That's the smallest ones of sparkling water. 1175 for three small bottles in a garden centre cafe. And I was taking them away, so I wasn't even using their glassware or anything. I can buy the same bottle in a supermarket for one euro forty. It's outrageous. Um, then other texts on this morning, my conversations about pubs welcoming people across the winter saying, come to the pubs, cut down on your energy. Uh, and use our heat and meet friends. Uh, I'd say many elderly will use their free travel to stay warm in buses and trains, Neil, don't you? Uh, Yes, I do, uh, and people do, and shopping centres as well. A texter says, Marie says, what I find what older people are doing in the UK is that they go on uh, the bus in the morning and they do some shopping or they go to a shopping centre and then they go back much later on another bus. They do that all day and it doesn't cost them on the bus because they have a free pass. It's time for their bit of dinner then and they go to bed straight after the dinner to save light and heat. Traipsing around on buses and in shopping malls. Anyway, Marie says that's what they do in the UK 
as they are really badly off over there. I see the same people on different buses. It's very sad, Neil, at this stage of their life. It certainly is. But that's the reality of it, isn't it? Uh, I must say that your coverage of Dan and his dog Boo is unreal. And the people at Cork are unreal at what they did for that man um, and that sick dog. As a dog owner and lover, I know how upset poor Dan and his wife must have been. Well done, says Mary from West Cork. If you came late to the show this morning, but you did hear the story on Boo... Um, Boo um, had cancer some years back and it had returned with a vengeance. So Deck the Vet uh, decided yesterday that the kindest, most humane thing to do, because poor old Boo was ravaged with the cancer, was to put him to sleep. Uh, On Paul and our conversations regarding homeless, uh, the food that was, uh, we highlighted the food that was available, say, yesterday at uh, St. Vincent's Hostel. Some texters are picking up on that conversation. Nothing wrong with that grub whatever about the living conditions. Uh, others then are quite critical. Um, you know, people are critical even though they don't know the full details of any individual's backstory. Seven years looking for a house? Seriously, what age is this man? Does he know what work means? The word work. Uh, can't go on a call, sorry, as I'm paying for that lad's life, working for a living. Uh, do the guys in the hostels realise that they're getting food and shelter for free? I take the point that it's not great, but it is free. There are people who work very hard, long weeks just to exist and have to pay for everything themselves. Marie says, ask that guy why he isn't working like everybody else. Who is going to give him anything? Uh, Nothing is for free. Yeah, some would suggest that to those that believe that housing is a right, others who work for a living would say, no, it's not. You've got to work for it. It was a Green Party decision last time in government to ban bedsits, wasn't it? They mightn't have been the best, but it was your own space. Yeah, I think bedsits are back again now, if I remember correctly. It's so sad to hear that boy and the poor boy going through what he is and what this country is coming to. But Dave says, without sounding cruel, there are plenty of people that will never work, you know. Plenty of people who expect the government to give them a hand, give them hand over fist. What has this man ever done to get a job and better himself and make his life better? Or is he just waiting on people to give him constant dig outs? I work my backside off trying to make ends meet. There are plenty of genuine people that need support and should get it. But unfortunately, there's far too many Irish people milking the system and they have never any intention of ever getting a job. And of course, it doesn't take long before the refugee card is thrown or used. If he was African or Ukrainian or any kind of foreigner, Paul would be housed. It's a total I think it's a missed one of those. Oh, yeah, total scandal. And a final one, um, certainly with regards to a man who's 75 years old and another man who's 72 years old and still in St. Vincent's. It's like a life sentence for the poor man. And shame on the government for that. We got calls on the way after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Yeah, what used to be known as Deer Park is now known as DePaul Deer Park Housing Hostel. So thank you for that. And they have many, many people staying there. As well as that, you have St. Vincent's, of course, for uh, men on uh, Anglesey Street. So I will come back to that text 0868-104-106. But from yesterday's program, big, big response um, by phone, by text, by email to the change uh, proposed with regards to our schools and particularly primary schools. Um, And this is a story that started with regards to two primary schools in the Glen uh, where there was a consultation with parents. And I'm told that many, many parents are unhappy with the change, that the schools would become interdenominational and not just Catholic, although many people wanted their children to go to a Catholic primary school. So that is something that's being rolled out. out. It's kind of a pilot scheme that's been rolled out by 
the, the Minister for Education at the moment, um, for many various different reasons, and we, we dealt with a lot of it yesterday. The other thing that's happening as well, then, is that in Dublin, it's being said that uh, the Archdiocese of Dublin will start moving the preparation of children for Holy Communion and Confirmation out of the classrooms Um uh, and there was a big response to both of those. Now, it's quite divided, bearing in mind uh, in a country where in the in the uh, the CSO stats for the 2016 uh, census, it said that 78% uh, of the population ticked the box uh, as saying that they were Catholic. Now, that's down from 84% in the census before that in 2011. But even in spite of that, it is a fairly significant amount of people who ticked Catholic in the census box, like 78% of the census um, and it would be a fairly accurate figure with regards to the people who did the census everybody did the census you just had to uh, but as to whether they'd be a la carte Catholics or practicing whether they would go to mass every Sunday or they might say the rosary regularly or they you know might go to confession uh, that's a different matter entirely not quite sure how much Father Tom Hayes in the Clonakilty Parish can say on this uh, but one or two other aspects that I was keen to talk about was people's interpretation of hell yesterday anyway Father Tom joins me by phone Tom good morning Good morning, Neil. Many might say that we're even living in hell now with the way things are, but that's probably a story for another day. But firstly, is there much that you can say about moving communion or confirmation out of the schools or indeed changing primary schools from Catholic to interdenominational? Are your hands tied on that? On the the first communion question, first, Neil, if I might, um, there's been a lot of media coverage, all right, because Dublin Archdiocese, uh, did some publicity around the new program that they're introducing. However, it was a bit misrepresented in the presentation in some of the media outlets where they suggested that the preparation for First Holy Communion was being taken out of the schools. That's not what's happening. What's happening is that the parishes are designing programs to support the parents and children as well as the preparation that's being done in the schools. The other big difference is that traditionally, like you and I grew up at a time in school when it was really unusual to see some child in a class not making their first holy communion. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It, it was an assumption that everybody just did. Yeah. And the school prepared everybody equally, and we all walked down to the church, and we were all treated the same way. Obviously, that's not appropriate for the contemporary reality you now. And in fact, practically every school in, in our diocese in Cork and Ross at the moment includes children who are not from a Catholic background. Correct. I mean, Catholic somebody school. told me some time back, although it's a few years back, somebody said to me, I believe the figure was 74 different languages are now spoken in Cork. I mean, it sounds like a bizarre figure, but that's what I was given. Yeah. yeah. So therefore, one you, would think you, that there are many religions have, in Cork. You have some schools with 40 language groups. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's just, uh, and if you look down through the role in a school now, you know, when I was in school, a lot of the names began with Mac or O, yeah. and they were the majority. They're now very often the minority in a lot of schools because we're a very changed culture, a very changed place. And that's good. Diversity is, is brilliant and, and everybody has a place. But for schools preparing children then for First Communion, what needs to happen, and Dublin is leading the way on this a bit, they're going back to parents at the start of the year and saying, for those of you who are Catholic, as you've mentioned in the census, a lot of people will take the box. For those of you who are Catholic and at baptism said that you wanted to bring up your child in the knowledge and love of God, 
we want to check in with you now. How's that going? Is that still relevant? Is that still what you want to do? And if you want to now renew that commitment and help prepare your child for First Communion, as a parish, we will help you to do that. So we invite you to take part in the parish programme which complements the work that's being done by the teachers in the schools. So it's not a case of one or the other. This is leading then to probably smaller groups because some parents will say, okay, I'm up for that. I'll commit to going to a parish programme once a month between now and the where, month of May. Where is the parish programme? Based in the parish. So it is being taken out of the school, Tom? No, the, the preparation for the parents. What about the children's preparation, though? Is it the case that's been taken out of the classroom? But Okay, so it's taken out of the classroom, but not out of the school. No, 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 it's still done in the classroom in the Catholic schools. So what about the kids, then, who are in the same classroom who won't be going for communion or confirmation? They're not obliged to take part in in that programme. Okay. And the same happens with other elements of the school curriculum. Like, the, you know, in the... Stay Safe programme, for example, the children have opt-out, parents can opt-out the children out of those programmes. So the schools make provision then for the child who doesn't want to participate. So, all the, so the only change you're saying that's happening in Dublin, because I don't know what's happening in Cork, we, we haven't got a response to from the Cork Bishop, but they're not making any change, except that they're just checking in with the parents to find out are you still up for communion and confirmation. It still will happen in the classroom, and you'll still have children in the classroom who aren't Catholic, listening to the preparation for communion and confirmation. Is that it? But they're also asking the parents to make a specific commitment and not just treat it as an automatic box ticking at the start of the year. Okay, so how could the media get that so wrong? It's, it, nothing really changes. Well, there is a substantial change in this sense in that the parish now has a very significant role. The parish isn't just turning up the day before the first communion for a practice. The parish is now actively involved from the start of the year with the parents. Okay. And when you say the parish, is it the parish priest? Well, it's the priest and other people, catechists in the parish. Okay. Okay. And involving the children in the Sunday Masses, for example. Okay. so, So that the children actually become part of a living parish community rather than just turning up on one day for doing one ceremony and then being gone again okay. and not seeing them anymore. All right. But so that it, is quite a significant change. Right, So, but it still will happen in the classroom. The, the teaching of the... You see, there's a catechetical programme. The, the teachers don't spend the whole of second class just focused on First Communion Day. There's a catechetical programme for every year and for every age group, and it's particularly each age group. So that catechetical program continues in the Catholic schools as normal. Yeah. Except yeah. that on, for second class, obviously there's a focus in the spring on first reconciliation for a month or two. But is and there any thought given I know, in second class to the children who aren't Catholic, who might be Muslim or Hindu or, or Jewish or of no religion whatsoever? Well, they freely commit to, they enroll into a Catholic school on the understanding that it's a Catholic school, that the school has a particular ethos. Okay. And they're welcomed into it, but they do so freely. And there's no issue with, with people like the Catholic schools have been welcoming to everybody. But you can't realistically expect the Catholic school to, to teach the, the Muslim faith. 
So that leads me on to the second point then, that I think they want 400 less Catholic schools. Are you able to dwell on that point? And two actually as a pilot test on the north side of Cork and the Glen are suggesting they'll no longer be called Catholic schools. They'll be interdenominational. No, the proposal there, Neil, is that one of them would be multi-denominational, that one would continue to be Catholic. Okay, that in the end of the day, one would be picked. Uh, well, there would be effectively almost two new schools created. The, the proposal, by, and this is from the department, because the government has committed to responding to this reality whereby there are many diverse groups, many diverse desires on behalf of parents, and... At the moment, the Catholic patronage is the majority patron in the schools around the country. Yeah. So the go- this is a political commitment that the government has made. How does the church feel about that, though? I mean, I don't know if you can comment on behalf of the church, but many texters to me are parents themselves. Here's a typical example. This, Ar- this is Ireland, a Catholic island, and it should be in our schools. If we were to live in another country, we would have to abide by their rules. Why do we always seem to have to go out of our way for people that wish to live in our country? And that's kind of a typical example. But this is to allow for the, the possibility that some families, as we've already acknowledged, are not Catholic, many are not Christian, many have no faith at all. Yeah. So they also have an entitlement in, in a free society to have an education ethos, which they're comfortable with for their children. So the Catholic bishops have been engaging with the government over several years now to examine ways of creating that diversity. Sounds as if they're Um, surrendering their schools to me, the bishops, Tom. No, they're not, uh, because uh, in many cases it will result in a clearer strengthening of some of the schools and um, some of the communities, you know, some communities have freely opted to do that, so there have been some transitions of patronage already, especially in Dublin. And it's working, it's working quite well. And what's happening is that I think people, you know, at the moment, there's no decision have, has been made about any cop school. That's important. Right, so right. There's a listening process going on at the minute into which anybody involved can contribute. And it's only at the end of that listening process. There's an independent facilitator of that listening process that has been defined by the government. That person will compile a report and basically okay. see whether there's a demand for it or not. Okay, but it seems, demand, the reaction on, yeah, if it seems on the reaction on the north side is that there isn't. Many people are saying that they sent their children to Catholic schools intentionally. That's what they want. Many are saying if we went to a Muslim country as Catholics, we wouldn't be tolerated in the same manner or fashion. But we're not a Catholic country. The, the Catholic Church does not run the country. So the schools, are the Department of Education runs the schools, basically. Many of them are managed by the Catholic Church, but there are other organisations also entitled to run schools as well. So you know, every school isn't Catholic, so it's completely different to a Muslim country, okay. where every school is automatically Muslim okay. and there's right. no room for any others. So the, 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 the key issue here is that no decision has been made. When the report is submitted to the department, that will tell the department whether there's an appetite for change or not. Okay, uh, but, and, but this, okay, we'll, and we'll see what happens there. Okay, so yeah. quite, quite a tolerant approach, I have to say, from, from the Catholic Church itself with regards to any proposals going forward. Yesterday then, we, we did uh, touch then on different, asset, different aspects of Catholic teaching, and this has been doctrine coming from the Vatican, 
I was just thinking on the hoof here, the number of people on who firmly believe that hell is a place of eternal fire, damnation uh, and suffering. Uh, I thought that the doctrine of the Catholic Church had turned away from hell being a place of fire. Um, your thoughts on that? I suppose traditionally we have the, the church has used the term place and it has also used the term fire. But this was used, that language was basically used in the catechisms in, in primary schools. The actual teaching of the church is that hell is a state, which is very different to a place. So it's not, it was never meant to be understood as a physical place. Like there is no air code for hell. You know, oh, but that's a huge not, that's a huge change in the doctrine then because as a child no it, 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 no, it was a place we had priests who brought candles in and asked us to see how long we could hold our hand over the flame um, <laughs> and then they told us that's the way it's going to be in hell if you don't behave yourself from the fear of God and that was kind of that was bizarre Neil I, I don't dispute that that could have happened but it, that that was never the teaching of the church that it was a physical place it's a state of being absent from the love of God and, you know, being completely without love, being completely at loss for eternity is what, it's a state of separation, a state of isolation, a state of suffering, um, as opposed to a physical place. I mean, this is a place, it's a state that's experienced by the spirit, by our souls. And, um, you know, it was represented to explain that, to help to describe what that is. Yes, the language of the language of the easy, accessible, physical things were explained to people. You know, the sort of fire is used, and yes, the scriptures talk about the phrase "burning in hell fire" and so on. But it's not meant to be taken literally as a place where there's literally a flame. But do you accept that it was preached that way for a long, long time, and also represented in art for? Uh, two millennia. Oh, absolutely. But so that's the purpose of art. The purpose of art is to represent things to us. Okay. It uses images. It uses metaphors. Art always uses images and metaphors. And so does our teaching of the faith. You know, we, there's a lot of metaphors and images in Christian teaching and in every faith. Okay. Uh, because we're, we're trying to grasp, trying to put it. Oh, hang on a second. That line just dropped. I wonder, is Tom still there? I don't know why that happened. I think we covered quite an amount of ground, unfortunately. Sorry, there you are. Neil, okay, okay, no, my, so, okay, no. All right, so that's, um, I understand no, that. What I was saying is that we, we use the images and metaphors are used in every religious tradition to explain a truth, which is very hard to put words okay. on. Okay, and is that also the case when it comes to, from my certain learning of it as a child and through much of my life, until I started thinking about it maybe, was that the devil was an actual physical person, the devil was a actual physical evil spirit that walks amongst us and actually has a physical presence. We know of the description and everything of the devil. Is, is that to be interpreted differently now as well? Well, it, again, it's not, there isn't necessarily a change. You're, what you're talking about is a move from a childhood picture into understanding evil as an adult. And there's a change, there's an updating required you know, so that the image that's presented to a child of the creature with horns and tails or whatever are represented in art, as you say, in lots of classical art in the Middle Ages. Um, 
is relevant because it does describe something of what evil and what the devil is. But again, this is a being. It's not necessarily, doesn't necessarily have to have ten toes. Can it have nine? Can it have seven? That's not the issue. What's the issue for children, though, who were painted this image and picture of a real person, an evil spirit that existed? It seemed rather unfair and cruel to do that to children if when you grow into an adult, you're then told, actually, you know, that's not the truth at all. It's not like that. But that happens with a whole lot of things in education, Neil. We get, we get told a whole lot of stuff as children that we have to evolve and re-examine and grow up with when we become adults and nuance our understanding. Mm. It doesn't mean that it's irrelevant. There's lots of uh, stories that children are given when they're children and they work for them and they help them to make sense of the world around them. But as adults, we all need to let go of those and move on to an adult understanding and reinform ourselves and maybe develop it in the faith context, develop a more adult understanding and leave some of that behind. Okay, good points. Well made. Covered a lot of ground this morning. Thank you, Tom, as always. The end of the phone. Father Tom Hayes from Clonacilty Parish. Text 0868104106 on that. We'll pick it up after the break. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104106. Red FM. 50% of the houses and departments that are on the market now for sale are landlords exiting the market. That's one thing. But those that aren't exiting the market are still making a damn killing. Here's an example. My son is house sharing with three other lads in Bishopstown. Their rent in Bishopstown is €2,400 a month. It's a three-bedroom with a badly converted garage turned into the fourth bedroom. If I heard this on your show, I'd say they must have been mugs. They should have seen seen it coming. Uh, but let me tell you that there were about six different families looking to rent the same house. How on earth is a house in Bishopstown, Cork City, a three-bedroom with a converted garage, charging €2,400 a month? It is nothing, only price gouging. And that's a typical example of what is becoming standard now and acceptable rents of 1900 2100 2300 or in this case, a three-bedroom with a badly converted garage. Imagine that garage is the coldest part of the house and it's a bedroom. So a converted three-bedroom for 2400 a month. I don't get it. Uh, text 0868 uh, Lots then on issues regarding uh, the church. I could have covered a lot more ground uh, with Tom, but uh, we did a lot of chatting there on different topics. Uh, many people are suggesting that uh, you could look at three quarters of the population uh, ticking the box in the census saying they're Catholic, but three quarters of the population don't go, don't go to Mass on a Sunday. Paulina says, I don't see many Irish going to church on Sunday, but I see a lot of them going to sports. I don't think religion still exists in this country as such. There's very poor interest. Communion here, communion here, or confirmation, is just about a big party. Uh, back to the phone lines we go. Finbar, good morning. Can you, I, and I will go back to text in a few minutes. Time. Finbar, turn down your radio there if you don't mind. I'll come back to you in a second. Uh, one or two more on this. It should remain in schools. Parents decide to send their children to Catholic schools but are not forced to have their children confirmed. If there were any other religion, there would be war if we suggested their religion had to be taken out of their schools. Each to their own and their own beliefs, but I hope it's not completely ruled out and the parents and the children in the Glen still have a choice to receive the sacraments. It is terrible now that they have to register their interest to do so. Yeah, but like, how are you going to change the world, the ever-changing country that we live in, with many different people from all sorts of different parts of the world living here, working here, raising families here, but not Catholic. 
Many are not even Christian and many people have no beliefs at all. I'm in my 50s. Ireland needs to move on. The church can't control the schools anymore. Plus, I would get rid of the dresses and the carriages uh, and have a standard gown for all kids at communion and confirmation. Families end up spending a fortune in the communions. Um, One thing about the dresses, but the carriages... um, that's completely OTT and the limos as well. I don't know if that's any better with Finbar. Finbar, good morning. Hello. Oh, there, there you are. Just pick up on this. Your thoughts? No, I just said, I just, well, you got, in, you got emails in there and you got texts as well. It's the same thing that I was going to ah, say. Yeah, about yeah, but what were you going to say? Other countries that, that, that they wouldn't tolerate the Catholic church, the Catholic people, as you say, go for the schools. Yeah, but. You wouldn't get all the, you wouldn't get all the benefits. In their country, you wouldn't even tolerate it. Yeah, but maybe we're just more tolerant. I was just going to say we're too, too tolerant. Because if any changes, who's going to really suffer? It'll be the other people and they're, 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 they're the kids that's coming through. Um, their life is going to be changed dramatically. But whereas if it were in another country, this wouldn't be tolerated if it happened where... You wouldn't. You'd be ran, you'd be ran over. If you went up there and you went to... If you said, I'm going to start the Catholic, Catholic school, you'd be ran. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't tolerate it forever here. But then again, so well, they're, looking at it, they're, they're looking at it in Europe. They're but, watching us. But you could have a secondary school in Cork with 30 or 40 different languages being spoken in it. But she's how old? How do you to get get education then? Who's going to be left on the sidelines? Oh, it must be an, it must be oh, a head the, the Irish. Yeah. But the Irish was going to be left on the sidelines because they left to so make sure we look after the other nationalities because oh, the Europe be talking about us. Yeah. So the same with everything that's happening. They're being put first all the time. Not to watch colour, always. Not, not everybody would agree back. with that people from overseas are being put for, first. Maybe in many cases, if they come here to work and to live and to rear a family, treated as equal. There's a difference. But if they're going to school and it's, uh, it's like when they're in hospitals that time and when they crosses, the crosses are inside, in the, inside in the hospitals, they had to be taken down. Yeah. Taken down. To yeah. all take it down because it's not, that's not all religion. Okay. They're upset. Okay. Ah, come on, like, Jesus almighty. Let's be honest, like. All right. We're under my, we're under my novelty. In every, everything that's happening. With the, the, what's the name, with the housing, everything. And they'll always come false, whoever comes in. They'll be tolerated false, and they'll get false. But your housing, uh, your housing has the same housing list for everybody. How is it? I am after seeing people getting into the houses there, up around the north side. Some strong countries. Uh, Nigeria, you have Pakistan, Togolai, and they're in the holding there before the Irish. They may they're have been. They're on waiting this last 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. See, I don't know that those people that you just described weren't also on a housing list for 10 years. I mean, if, the they, t- if there's priority going on for people because they're from a different country, then that's wrong, but we need to be able to prove that that's true. Well, how can they walk into a house? And you tell you we don't we go down to City Hall and there's people below there and they're all you know of their case right there on the care and on the list for so long. So obviously they're on they're in the country longer, well longer before these people. Yeah. And so they're, they're born the bridge, so they must be on the list when they come with they get married, they get married, you know, should they get married that time in their twenties. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you but so we how need to could go- they be how could they be ahead of an Irish person, an Irish couple? 
But they wouldn't be coming here as refugees or asylum seekers. They would just be coming here to work, is it? And then applying for a house and being treated. They're granted. They, yeah, they can, they're granted. They're applying, yes. Yeah. But how could, you, how could they be in front of the Irish people and you see a people say, like the man said, they will go, he's seven years. But there's couples here that are in the house in this 12, as I said, 12 and 15 years. But, the problem, see, but a, single, a single man will be way down the pecking order of importance when it comes, unfortunately, when it comes to getting why a house. Why should that be? Why should that happen? Because most of the properties will be two-bed and three-bedroom and they're prioritised children. Yeah, but in the lot of the bungalows around the place. I know, want, I know. I mean, but if, if somebody could prove to me absolutely categorically the people coming into Ireland were fast-tracked into the housing system and jumped the queue against other people who are 10 years I'd be, I'd be one of the more angri- angriest people in the country if I heard that was true because it's not fair we you, need- won't get a lot, you won't get a lot of them but you get, they'll be drip-trip they'll be put in, 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 in communities put in there just drip-trip they'll be in there they'll be no one saying nothing but they're in there then and they're there they have the key so Okay, all right. Okay, let me let me put it to you like this, Finbar. If somebody wants to get in touch with me and tell me that it's definitely happening as a fact, I'd gladly talk to them if they could take me through it and show me some form of proof. Fair I enough. I understand that. I can't understand that. Yeah. We can't go on here, sir. No. Yeah. Well, 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 you can't, but it would be entirely unacceptable the people were coming in from overseas and were being prioritised on housing lists. And people have known that to be a fact, then I encourage them to get in touch with me but on it. But didn't you get when the, where was that? Was it your programme? With the, with the lady from Niger, 18 months, was told to cut down the hours. Was that, that your programme? That's right, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Work, work less hours. Yes, and yeah. you'll be with your, your medical card. That's right. And she got a two-bedroom apartment. Yeah, but I would need no, to know no. how long I would need to know how long she was on a housing list or on a waiting list, you see. So she was only eighteen months in the country. Yeah. So we did that's one one example. All right. Let's hear of others then, so, shall we? All right. Okay. Okay. Thanks thanks, Fimbar. Thanks, thanks a lot. For that. Thank you. Take care. Okay, well said. Good points. Um Soul destroying if it's true. Absolutely soul destroying. Tomas is standing by Noreen first. Noreen, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Uh, what, what do you make of that? Do you think there's any 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 truth in that? In sorry, in what? In in about okay. the housing situation. Yeah. Listen to me. That's that's that is a a hornet's nest now at the moment. I think, and I actually my own personal thoughts on the housing situation is that they stopped building council houses thirty years ago. There was never we never needed. A, everybody had a house. Like this, let's say go back to the 60s and 70s because there were council houses built and they were built by the government mm. for people on low wages. Mm. I mean, I got married in my early 20s and all of my friends had their own house before they were 30. I mean, I have a son here who is at home because he can't afford to buy a house on his own and he's in his mid-30s now mm. and he's a professional. Mm. It's just... Yeah, you know it is. I mean, you know those houses that were built by the corporation. We all know examples of them. There were, you know, a lot yeah. of them were, a, lot, a lot of a lot of the housing estates actually that we know of were were built um, by private builders, incidentally. But you could get a a corporation loan to buy them, and you repaid the corporation you, loan. Yeah, you were in you were into the house uh, indefinitely, and then you had the um, you were to buy 
as time went on. That's right. And yeah. nobody was without a house. I, I mean, I grew up in, I was born in the 50s. And I mean, I never heard of people sleeping on the streets and being kicked out of accommodation because they, you know, the landlord wanted to sell the house or whatever. Yeah. Because they had corporation houses were there. Yeah. And, you know, you were on the list and you weren't waiting that long. Yeah. And, I mean, everybody's entitled to a roof over their heads. I have nephews who are trying to buy a house and they're just, they can't do it. Yeah. The houses aren't there for a start. Are any of them, are any of them thinking about leaving? <clears throat> No. No. Okay. Well, you're lucky then. No, if they were if they were in their twenties, I reckon they probably would. Yeah. But well, they're in their thirties. Well, I'm really talking about the the twenties decade. All around me, they're leaving. All around me. Oh, oh, oh I know. I absolutely. I'm. No, the story yesterday of, of a friend of a friend who's our friend of my daughter who's uh, not going to go into any details in it, except for the boyfriend are just legging it. They're. It's dreadful. It's absolutely. It's every, every day. I'm I mean, this. I just, I just can't get my head around it at all and really the government are doing nothing. I mean if the government listened, if the ministers or the TDs listened to your programme there any morning which even with regards to the kids running wild around melancholy burning chair, burning seats, yeah. the, the, the carries on in... But that's parenting though, that's like parenting. That. Of course it's parenting. That's, that's the response, that's a family but there issue. Has to be, but there has to be a presence a guard of presence and there isn't a guard of presence I mean I know areas here where I live and it's noted and it's I mean let's face it let's, in Dublin there are areas like the, the boardwalk and places like that where they're I mean it's known for drug taking and you know but they're not they're, they're, they're not they're, they're, we need a presence we need a guard of presence in the street when I was going to school in the 60s and um we knew all the guards in town when we were coming home from school. They were on. They were on the beat. No, much smaller. You know, much smaller they were season. on the beat, and there's no point in saying that we haven't enough guards. Guards should be taken out of the stations and put on the beat, not answering phones, which is what is happening in a lot of stations. If they were out and they need to be out at night, they need to be out in the, in our cities. It's a sad, sad state of affairs when you can't. I reckon my my daughter is in the states, and I reckon it's safer to walk down the streets of her town than it is to walk down the streets of any of the cities here in this country. Yeah, well, I mean that's open, that's open to interpretation with the issues mm, they have with guns is, and you know. But I mean that's just my personal opinion. You got people, you got people in America sending their children. No, you can say you got people in America <laughs> sending their children to school and they don't know whether a shooter is going to walk in the front door. Well, my grandchildren are in a mixed school in Massachusetts, in the state of Massachusetts, and it is a sad state of affairs. Um, but they, I mean, when, she, when my my first grandchild started school, I mean, I was oh my god. Um, they're the first thing they're taught when they go into school as five-year-old children is how to protect themselves if there was a gunman in the school. Not Isn't that a sad statement? Yeah, they, yeah, they're taught where to go, how to do, and they have like, drills every Get on, get on the, the desk or something. Table or get under the desk or whatever, but they have drills every so often. And I know the schools are locked, and I mean, that misfortunate school that was hit there recently. 
for some weird reason somebody left the door open and that's a possibility as well yeah, yeah. but the doors are locked it's a very sad situation but they have a lovely they have a great standard of living over there uh, yeah but my, a lot of the time my, even my, those their, their own policing system for the criticisms that you're giving ours um, their, their systems are flawed all of the time because an awful lot of the time these shooters are known in advance to police I don't know Neil are they what? I don't know these are young people with, with severe mental illness that aren't I mean it's I wouldn't go that far okay. I, I really wouldn't know okay I well listen to me in the, in the 90 seconds I've left just tell me mm-hmm. the point that you did call was with regards to uh, the grandchildren in <laughs> the US education. they oh, go yeah, to a Catholic school do they no they don't go to a Catholic school they go to a mixed school okay and no, I, well, I made that clear to Seamus when I was talking. Thank you. I see it here in front of me. Mixed school, but they go to a Sunday school for religion, is it? <clears throat> yeah. Especially when they're coming up to communion and confirmation time. They have to go to Sunday school in the Catholic churches. And they're taught by lay people in the Sunday school before they're, they're being prepared. Right. So is there, no, is, there no religion, is there no religion in the school then? Oh, no religion in the school whatsoever. Gotcha, no, it's, gotcha. I mean, you've got nationalities from all over the world there. There's no religion there and they have their Sunday school. And I mean, their parents would have children's Bibles and that's how they would start their religious education. Do you think education. that's the way it should be here? Absolutely. Why? Absolutely, because times have changed, Neil. Okay, okay. You know, I mean, we were drummed, as I was saying to Seamus there, and Seamus was saying to me there a while ago, we had the Ten Commandments drummed into us when we were going to school in the 50s. But is there, maybe no the Ten Commandments are a good, maybe they're a good roadmap for life. But all you need is the Ten Commandments as they are. I mean, they speak for themselves. Yeah, they do. You don't have to be, have, you don't need to have 40 questions off the First Commandment and down the line and the epistles and you had to know, you know, if you didn't, the priest came in. You were shivering in your shoes. Ah, sure, I know. But later because in life, I couldn't... Because you would, you know, yeah. if somebody failed. I mean, my God, it was just, the it was shocking. It, yeah. Times have changed, and I think there's too much emphasis on Catholic schools and the Catholic, you know, ethos. Okay, with okay. Regard to, you know. Thanks for that. So Sunday schools, I'm all for Sunday schools. L- let me just ask you, and you don't have to do it because I couldn't do it. Could you now, at your age, because I can't, list mm-hmm. the Ten Commandments in the correct order? Um, Losing you there. So you, you don't have to do it. I'm just curious <laughs> as to whether you could. I, I do. Yeah. Fifth, thou shalt not kill. Sixth, thou shalt not commit adultery. Seventh, thou shalt not steal. Eighth, thou shalt not bear, bear false witnesses against thy neighbour. Ninth, thou shalt not cover thy neighbour's wife. And tenth, thou shalt not cover thy neighbour's good. Well done. I missed the first few, but I'm sure you read those. Yeah, well. I, I, I kind of stumbled there before I got before I got going. Well impressed. But, we, but it, well, it was just beaten. Into, well, it wasn't beaten. Excuse my phrase. I mean, we just had to do it. Like okay, all right. Thanks, Sunday Noreen. school to me is a nice, relaxed way for children to learn about. Their religion. Okay, okay more calls after please. 11. Take care, have a good okay, day. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye. Back after 11. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national, and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 
I was telling you this morning about Brian O'Driscoll um, bringing the wrong dog home from the dog groomers and it got me thinking about uh, other kind of brain freezes that people have had in their lives. So uh, the best brain freeze story this morning will win a 500 euro voucher for the furniture centre on the Watercourse Road in Blackpool, similar to Brian O'Driscoll bringing the wrong dog home. I was telling you stories of a mother once, um, in fact, I think it was John O'Donovan, if he's knocking around, he'd tell the story much better than me. Uh, a woman took him home as the wrong baby. Those kind of funny stories. And if it'll happen anywhere, the stories will happen in Cork. So we have a 500 euro voucher for the furniture centre on the Watercourse Road in Blackpool. Family run business for over 40 years. Mm, an awful lot of what they sell within the store is custom Irish made. And they have a delivery in just uh, four to six weeks. Free delivery. A free assembly, free removal of your old furniture. And a lot of the products there are there for immediate delivery. Uh, that's a 500 euro voucher for the furniture centre on the Watercourse Road. Um, actually, you know, you talk about people who can and can't afford, uh, you know, their, their own home and what have you. A lot of texts on that. Um, and it's a, it's a kind of a story that never has gone away. All it's doing is it's just getting worse and we're hearing more and more of it. Uh, people who can't afford their own home. Um, and how it's changed over the decades with regards to uh, being able uh, to afford your own home. Uh, a lot of texts on it. We'll pick it up after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Paula Manny earlier this morning was wondering why people don't have the same kind of outrage regarding, uh, say, homelessness or people living in hostels like DePaul or St. Vincent's or in the Simon, um, like they did when it came to the water charges. I was making the point to him that really the water charges was different because it impacted on every single person on the island of Ireland, whereas homelessness doesn't. And many people are just dealing with their own issues and their own uh, inability to put a roof over their own heads or be able to pay the rent or indeed get a mortgage. Um, And unfortunately, there's an awful lot of bitterness then as well from people who have worked all of their lives or raised children and reared them properly and look at the state of the nation for their children. Like Paul says, 30 years ago, one person working with a family of three or four kids and one person at home could bring in enough for a mortgage. Now house mortgages are seven times your salary. With two people working and one kid in the house, it's not even attainable. That's all wrong, forcing a renter's market. Um, but anyway, didn't Leo Varadkar once say that people should move in with the folks for a few years? And many people have moved in with the folks and gone back to the folks. Uh, but should the rent being paid to the private landlord is probably more than the mortgage repayments, says Roisin. Yeah, given the cost of renting in the moment. Uh, it's shocking, says Kira. When we went for our mortgage, they said it's better to get a mortgage without kids. We don't have any yet. We have our house now, but you'd feel sorry for people going for mortgages that have kids. It's so unfair that it stands against you. And Joy makes a similar point. She says, it's terrible. Years ago, when we got our mortgage, we were asked if we had kids, which we didn't. The bank manager said to us, oh, that's good, because they'd knock 50 grand off per child um, for the mortgage approval. Uh, Unreal, says she. Susan says, something is very wrong with the system when it punishes people working their backsides off. It's not fair. I really feel for anyone in this situation working. Uh, We rent and we work, yet we can't get a mortgage. We got kicked off the council list because my husband works overtime to pay our rent, while mortgage prices rocket, leaving very little room to even attempt to save for our own. Now we are having to work less and are back on the housing list again. Work less, go back on the housing list. And that's the advice that's given, actually. Uh, But we had to fight to get back on the list. We've been renting for years. Should this not be enough to get a mortgage? We never missed a payment in our lives. Thankfully, we have a roof over our heads. Am I to raise my children to not work ever? 
because it's going to get you more by not working. That's the way it seems. Uh, nothing for the middle class people. It is mind boggling. Uh, maybe the working class are the fools in the end. Paul says the government are getting wage increases and people can't get a house. They're out of touch with those who elected them, who in their right minds can pay two and a half grand rent a month. I'm on a housing list for at least seven years. I work full time, still can't get an answer from the housing department as to when I will be housed. I have no faith in the government. Boy, did they ever bail out the banks. Uh, yeah, and uh, what about the ESB making a profit of €2 million Euro per day? Sarah says, working to pay landlords. That's all people in the country are doing. It's impossible to save for deposit. The banks uh, want based on huge prices. It's impossible to save for the deposit the banks want because it's based on huge prices for houses. Even with that Mickey Mouse help to buy scheme, it still doesn't help a middle-class full-time working couple with no kids. Imagine if we had four children. 15 years ago the banks were given mortgages like candy the crash happened and we were told to tighten up which was a great idea but banks have gone the polar opposite of the boom time they are now too strict there are too many hurdles in place for couples to get on the property ladder if you rent if what you are paying exceeds the mortgage repayments then the mortgage approval should be nailed as in if you can afford the rent you can afford the mortgage Um, James makes an interesting point and Shirley says finally for now it's awful uh, you do the right thing by working hard, paying taxes, and you get penalised for it. It's so hard for people to get anywhere if you're constantly being knocked back. That's just a selection. So we'll come back to those throughout the course of the morning. That and lots more besides. But back to the phones lines we go. My apologies to Moss, who's been waiting quite a while. Tomas, good morning. Good morning. Thank you. you. I'm good, thanks. And I appreciate your patience. We're back to uh, one of the other topics on the go at the moment, and that's religion and schools, right? Yep. Okay, your thoughts. My thoughts are very simple. Religion has been around for, well, the Roman Catholic one is the main one here. That's around with 1,700 years. It has an abominable record. It purports to be the moral arbiter for society. Its own morals are so off the scale. They're so wrong. They have no morality at all. They never had. Everything is for the church's benefit. Now... They get subsidised because they're tax-free as a charity. Secondly, they're allowed free time in schools to, to indoctrinate children. And you can call it nothing else because it's done generation on generation and each one perpetuated by having to put their child through baptism and all the rest to get them into a Catholic school. Now, the Catholic Church says that that's not strictly true. And no, and I've spoken with parents who aren't Catholic and didn't tick the Catholic box and still got into the school. Well, you can, yeah, but you go to the end of the line. Well, and well. that is a fact. They, they freely admit this. But outside of that, we're teaching children to become logical, thinking, intelligent adults. And they're asked to accept something that somebody taught up in the Bronze Age, that there is a God who created the world, and his story is in the Bible. Now tell them, teach the Bible as it is. The Bible is an abomination. It's an abomination, you say? Yes, it is. So so you've you've read it then, have you? I read it frequently. It's a great read, but it's utter rubbish. But... So why do you waste your time on a book that's just utter rubbish? I love the pageantry of it. I do not believe in God because there is no proof whatsoever that ever was a God. <laughs> I don't think you have to now, say that. That's clearly evident, yeah. yeah. But if you come along and you read it, go into Exodus. God incites Moses to seek freedom for the people of Israel from Pharaoh. 
that he incites Pharaoh to refuse your man, that he punishes the people of Egypt for the Pharaoh's decision, which was his choice. Then eventually he kills all the firstborn humans and animals of the Egyptians. And he's so omnipotent and omniscient, as he allegedly is, that he has to get the Israelis to draw blood on the lintels of their doors so that their kids won't be killed. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, in in that case, brutally cruel and nonsensical, I know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but outside of that... Killing the firstborn, yeah. Go to Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, he's going to kill them all. He gives Lot the chance as he's a righteous man. And Lot is there and two angels come to visit him. And while they're there, there are two males, the men of Sodom come along and they said, bring out your guests, we want to rape them. He said, no, no, take my daughters instead. Like, this gives you the whole idea... I have a picture of the whole idea behind the church is patriarchy and misogyny. Currently, the dicastria of the laity promotes the ideas of Tertullian, who said that women are the source of sin in the world and of all evil. This is currently on the side. Yeah, but I mean, that's... that's that's the viewpoint of a minority. You know, nobody really within religion or even the Catholic Church from, say, the Vatican down believes in that kind of nonsense. That women are what the central of all did, sin in the universe. How did they behave? When did you last see a woman priest saying mass? Oh, I mean, you know, I've dealt with that topic on numerous occasions. If the, if the church wants to modernize, they need to be all more encompassing of everybody, including women. But you know, it's not. I don't make. I don't make oh, yeah. their rules. And anyway, it's oh, it's, yeah. it's a democracy. You're you're entitled to your view just as much as others who are believers are entitled to theirs. That is true. But I am not entitled to legislate my view into law, and that's what religion has done in this country for not, the last hundred not, years. Not really, not really, not anymore. It's changing why, very why much now. Not, why did we not have, you actually, you hit the nail on the head there, not anymore, but it was there, by and large, for a hundred years. Like in 1928, they banned divorce. During the British occupation here, there was divorce. Yeah. Prior to the British taking over, the English taking over in the 17th century, we had divorce under Brehan law. That's right. You're spot on the money there. And and now we do again. And we have contraception and we have same-sex marriage and we're a much more tolerant society and we have divorce and we have all of the things that we we should have in that regard. Uh, Women have a right to control their own bodies an awful lot more. Um, yeah, than they had is, before. Which is a euphemism for abortion, which is a woman's right if she wants it. But the thing is, the Bible actually gives a recipe, and the Old Testament gives a recipe for procuring an abortion. I'll take your word on that, not having read it in any yeah. great amount of detail. Yeah. Well, I have studied Christian history and the Bible history, and it is there, and a lot more is there. And there are more rules there. You can say they're not applied anymore. They were applied during the Middle Ages, like you'd stone your daughter to death. Like the church didn't stone up to death, they burned them at the stake instead. Mm. And these are the people who are supposed to be founded, uh, members of a church, founded by Jesus Christ and guided by the Holy Spirit, Right. Where was the Holy Spirit during the Middle Ages when they were fomenting wars, ethnic cleansing, all the rest? My point is that the church has no morality. You think that a God wouldn't stand by if he saw world famine, for instance, or he saw cancer, or he saw children with leukemia, you're saying? No God would stand by and allow that, is it? 
Well, if there was a good God, but when I was a, uh, in my teens and I mentioned it to my mother, I was fascinated with liturgy and all that. And I was considering the priesthood. She said, go read the Bible, read the Old Testament. And if you can find a good God in that, come back and tell me. Okay. Because I never found him. So for you, there is no God, no heaven, no hell, no day of judgment. Life is what we make no, of it here on earth for stuff. No, but if people want to believe in it, that's fine, as long as they don't try to impose their beliefs on society. Okay. Now, they have control of the schools, and that should be taken from them, because very, very valuable educational time is wasted on that. Now, there was a counsellor recently speaking on the subject, and he said, right, if people go for Sunday school instead and have to pay for it, immediately money comes in, because the church loves money. Don't know it anything about. Be. I don't know anything about the paying for it aspect, but it would make perfect sense to me if religion were removed from schools and it was an added-on after-school activity or a weekend activity. I mean, certainly the Protestant well, it, faith does it that way. It would actually really alleviate a lot of stress on students as well because they would have more time for proper subjects for yeah, real subjects. Yeah, yeah, good point. Okay, all right. Well, mate, thank you for all of that, Tomas. Appreciate you holding on. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Pick up the phone on oh eight one eight one zero four one zero six. Lots to do between now and midday. More after the break. Uh, just want to go back to the story of the pajama wearing cafe. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. Big response to the story from County Meath of the coffee shop owner, the cafe owner who banned diners in pyjamas. Two women came in for breakfast wearing fleece pyjamas, slippers and dressing gowns. So they did and she's having no more of it. Big public response in support of that uh, cafe owner. But we took to the streets of Cork, at least Seamus did. He was out in Blackpool yesterday asking, asking the simple question, are pyjamas acceptable as an attire in public? Well, I wouldn't like to be going around in my pyjamas anyway. So, yeah, I think it is race. Would you mind somebody coming into your into a coffee shop that you're in, maybe having a coffee in the morning and watching them wearing their pyjamas would have put you off? It would, yeah, yeah. Why is that? Because I think it's just not right. Pyjamas is a for home leg and bait. Do you think they're lazy, so? Yes. Well, it's their own decision of what they're wearing coming in, to be honest, like. That's my opinion on it, like. Would you do it yourself? No, no, I wouldn't, but I wouldn't, like, you know, I wouldn't tell, I wouldn't serve somebody only because they're wearing pyjamas, like, you know, it's their own you, choice. You don't think to put off the other customers? Put me off. Maybe, would, would it put you off? Why is that? <laughs> no, what? just because, like, they, they look like they're just out of bed, like, they look like they're not putting any effort in. But what if it was they're going out pyjamas? <laughs> if you have a pair of going out pyjamas and a pair of staying in pyjamas and you need to re- kind of reevaluate life, I think. Just one pair of pyjamas for the house, for sleeping, that's it, you know? Um, I, I suppose there is a dress code, but are they doing any harm? Uh, if it was my shop? No, I wouldn't. You'd serve them anyway? I'd serve them, yes. Of course I would. I, I mean, do you know what's the difference between the pyjamas and the pants, really? They're covered up. Uh, I, I presume they were respectable looking. And uh, what's the harm in it? I, and if you were in a coffee shop and uh, they came in and they were sitting down with their fluffy, fluffy uh, slippers and pajamas, would it put you off your your breakfast? No. Would it put you off? Well, it depends on what they're wearing. Well, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> 
Pajamas are a house. They're pajamas. They're your house. They're your house. I saw serious. You could have one for going out and one for staying at home. I'd like you to show me going out pajamas. I don't think I've ever seen a going out pajamas. Like people need to like respect where their environment. I think. Do you think they're lazy, so not putting, not getting dressed in the morning? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Would you ever do it yourself? Not a chance would I walk in to a shop with the slippers and socks or something or whatever they're wearing so would it put you off sitting down having your coffee watching it in the mornings someone coming in their fluffy slippers it probably would yeah because you'd look at it straight away no it's each their own I suppose but like why wouldn't you get dressed in the morning well personally speaking I wouldn't do it I wouldn't no no I don't I think it's not appropriate no no, not go into shops or coffee shops or anything like that, no. Wouldn't agree with it. They're only for bed and around the house. It only takes five minutes to plan a pair of leggings and a sweatshirt. <laughs> kind of developed a new life now, apparently. We've moved on to the staying in pyjamas and the going out pyjamas and what have you. I think Seamus would have had no problem if it was negligees in cafes, but it's not. It's pyjamas, right? And then somebody said, if you, if you, you, know, if you have a stay-at-home pyjamas and a going out pyjamas, you really need to reevaluate your life. <laughs> Love that line. But the coffee shop owner up in um, uh, in Sage and Stone in Dulleek in County Mead, this is Kira Burke, and she joins me by phone. Kira, good morning. Morning, how are you? I'm good. You've certainly stirred up a hornet's nest and the well, vast... Well, I certainly have, but I'm delighted that the good people of Cork are agreeing with me. They certainly are. people in, in, uh, have their standards in Cork because... I tell you, it's creeping in up here now that they'd be coming in in their pyjamas. So you just but had enough... You, in my place. you just had enough of it. But tell us, what's the story around this? Two people came in in their jammers and slippers and, ba- and robe and had a, yes. had a kind of a scove around the gift shop first, was it? No, no. They came in, to the, they came in and uh, were seated at the table and were served their breakfast and they had their pyjamas, their dressing gown, their slippers and two handbags sitting beside them at the table. And then uh, they were served their breakfast. I came in in the middle of it after dropping the kids to school. And I said, are they in their pyjamas over there? And uh, the waitress says, uh, yeah, care they are. And I said, for God's sake, now, is this what we have to deal with? So then they got up and um, we went, they went into the, into the uh, gift shop and they had a wander around there. And there was a bit of a honk off them now, in fairness. Was uh, there really? Yes, and then the girl in the gift shop was saying, Eve said to them, so, you know, where are you? Oh, we're just, we're heading up to the airport. We're going on a flight to New York. So they were actually going to the airport in their pyjamas and getting on a flight. And I tell you one thing, I wouldn't like to be sitting beside them on a flight. Oh, for God's sake. Oh, my God. I didn't know anything about the stench or the the smell. Yeah. Yeah, I put up the post to nip it in the bud. And just, and then I couldn't believe the uh, the the reaction I got a lot of backlash I got a lot of support I've got phone calls from all over the countryside so uh, but I'm I'm sticking to my guns I think that people should get up get dressed washed and out the door and if they make if they get washed, dressed properly in the day they feel better about themselves instead yeah. of slobbing around the pyjamas. Yeah, so I was reading in the, in the mail this morning that you said, I hate to talk about my own sex, but it's women who are dressing in pyjamas. It's not a man thing. Sure, sure, sure no. it's not, Kira. No, it's not a man thing. It's women, and uh, pennies are making uh, plenty of money out of the uh, pyjamas. Whether they have daytime pyjamas and nighttime pyjamas, I don't know. But, I mean, it's the highest-selling item in pennies, because my, my brother worked there. 
And uh, But are, so, they're not buying the pyjamas out of pennies to wear outdoors, though, are they? I mean, I have seen people shopping in supermarkets. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Are they? I've seen them yeah. in supermarkets for sure. The odd time, you know? Yeah, no, the odd time. Like, you see them in the Chinese. You see them going down to, for the chipper. You see them in... Like, I'm just... You see them walking to the school with their... Their pajamas, their UGG boots, and uh, their kids in a in a uniform. And, and I just going to think. And tell me, is, tell me about that now, because is it a fashion statement? Is it a form of attire, or is it, as some no. people are saying, the Vox laziness? Laziness, pure and utter laziness. I mean, how long, how much does it take to throw on a pair of jeans or leggings and a proper daytime top? It's it's um, it's unhygienic. It's, uh, it's banned in Tesco. There's a no pyjama policy. It's banned in um, a lot of hospitals don't allow their, their, anyone in pyjamas going into their cafes, including their patients who should be sitting in their own beds. Um, so, like, it's just, a, it's just a proper manner. And it's a banned on hygiene grounds, is it? Not, not the look, just the hygiene aspect, would you think? The hygiene aspect of it and the look. I mean, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't, I, I get my staff to get dressed, make sure their, their shirts are ironed, their ties are on, their aprons are on, and everything is tidy and everything. And um, I don't expect them to serve people in their pyjamas. So I they, expect them to be coming in yeah. and uh, presentable, and um, I wouldn't like to be serving anyone in pyjamas. Okay, okay. Um, so I, I, wasn't, aware the, the, I well. wasn't aware of the flight to, the, to New York. So assuming that they got through security and would have been left on the plane in pyjamas, yeah? Well, that's there. That's there. Like, that's my stance. But yeah. I don't know if Aer Lingus have a stance about pajamas. Maybe ask them. But, um, like, it's, it's, it's maybe something. I've seen, I've seen people in the airport in leisure suits. I've seen them. That's fine. I've seen them in, I've seen them at the airport in their pajamas going on a flight to, because, you know, it is comfortable wear yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah. like, at the same time, it's, it's, you know, you don't know whether they've had them on the night before and they're just too lazy to put them on or just they put on fresh pajamas for their flight. And you know but something, are, you know, putting, on a, bit, putting on a bit of decent clobber and doing yourself up, you make an interesting point in the paper. It's good for your mental health to make an effort, right? Oh, no. Well, I tell you, if I walk around after in, in my pajamas all day, I feel like crap. So if I get up, have a shower and drive myself, you already feel great. So, I mean, they have posters around the hospitals now to say if you're in hospital and you're get, if you're in there long term, you should get up and get dressed every day because otherwise it brings you down to be staying in your bedtime clothes. Do you think that people who wear pyjamas do absolutely nothing all day except hang around? Um, I think a part of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And just finally, the backstory to your cafe is an amazing one. You started that by converting a milking parlour, I believe. Is that true? That's true, yeah. You My started out with a handful of tables. I only had like four tables, yeah. And my, I got a coffee machine from um, a friend of mine said, oh, I think I have a coffee machine in the back of my store. So I got that, fixed it up, and myself and mom started making scones and selling coffee and uh, from my dad's old milking parlour. So it has just grown and grown and grown from there, and uh, the uh, demand has just grown. Um, so it's just hard work, hard work. Get up, get yourself up out of the day, and work hard, and it'll come. You certainly have done that. You now transformed it into a hundred tables, employing thirty-five staff, and added yeah. a gift shop into the market. Yeah, and it's payday today, Neil. So it's not an easy one. Okay, <laughs> and you're also juggling energy costs. So good luck with all of that. 
Yeah, energy costs now is very important to change your energy thing every year. Uh, so I do that every year. I, try, I mean, you just have to you just have to reinvent yourself all the time to keep up with all of these challenges that come along. All right. And there's no point in in um, giving up. You just have to keep going. Okay, and you're keeping the standards up, and no patrons in pajamas. Thanks, Kira. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, Thanks for, for taking the call. I was just thank okay. you. I was just saying to the lads, give Claire Nash a call at Nash nineteen <laughs> because I guarantee you, if there's anyone who wouldn't let anybody in with pajamas, it's Claire Nash. I've been proven wrong, have I? Good morning, Neil. <laughs> On a morning like this morning, you'd want more to your. Who'd want to go out in pajamas on a wet, uh, wet Thursday morning? But where <laughs> are you with this? Ah, sure, Neil. For God's sake, you know if people. Like, if that's people's demeanour, that they want to go around in their pyjamas all day, that's their own choice. And we've bigger things to worry about here at the minute. If we have people that want to come in in their pyjamas, they're customers, they're paying customers, I'd say, come on. Claire, I cannot believe, I cannot believe, I cannot on, believe I you're saying that. <laughs> that's not the clear Nash that I know. <laughs> Any customers now coming down that street today, I'll be having them whatever state they're in. To be honest with you. But no, I mean, that lady is right. It is a bit, you know, it's a bit of madness. But Sherlock, I take whatever's going. Oh my God, you're, ha- you're far from desperate for customers oh, now. Neil, come on. Listen, I hope you're coming in for culture night tomorrow night. This is going to be a wash. I don't think there'll be many pyjamas. <laughs> but but no, would, it be, would it be all right if there were BT pyjamas, maybe, Claire? Oh, they'd be gorgeous. Be perfect. Okay. Yeah. Oh my God! All right, I'll let you get back to it. I swear to God, I would have thought if anybody would have had a no pajamas ban, it would be Claire Nash, but apparently not. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. Oh eight one eight one zero four one zero six. Red FM. Come on, guys! If you're wearing pajamas in public, defend yourself. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. The woman on the air is spot on. Would we go to a wedding in a tracksuit and runners? No, we wouldn't. Says Pat. Uh, I was in a restaurant at two o'clock one day in the day, and two woke. 20s, as in two woke people in their 20s. How do you know they were woken? Um, were wearing PJs, slippers and dressing gowns. I found it disgusting, says Cleana. Uh, Sarah says, each to their own, but I couldn't go around in pyjamas all day or even wear what I call a nightgown. It's the sa- if it's the same pyjamas they slept in, then they are going out in the same dirty underwear. We were always told, whatever our clothes, make sure you change your underwear every day in case you get knocked down. Yeah, because the doctor will say to your ma'am, uh, the injuries aren't too bad, but the state of his underpants is an absolute disgrace. Uh, no, never. I mean, if you're in pyjamas, the chances are you slept in them. Would it be any harder to slip into clothes or even a tracksuit and T-shirt, for God's sake? At least you wouldn't be in it since the day before, says Laura. Uh, Eileen says, there are more important things in life to get worked up and bothered about. If, some, if uh, what someone else is wearing bothers you that much, it says more about you than it does about them. Patricia says, if people can't take a few minutes to change out of their pyjamas, then I dread to think how long it is since they changed their underwear. <laughs> These stories grow legs and legs. I hope John O'Donovan, who's at home lounging around, isn't in his pyjamas. John, good morning. Well, it's a good day for the pyjamas, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's either the pyjama day or a, or a morning for the high stool. But anyway, I wanted to, because I know you told this story before, because um, I have a 500 euro voucher to give away for the greatest brain freeze or the mishap that people might have had in their lives. And it reminded yeah. me, because Brian O'Driscoll brought the wrong dog home from the dog mm-hmm. groomers, right? Yeah. It can happen. But tell me the story of you in the pram again. Well, I was not in the pram. I was four years of age at the time. And take your, take your mind back now to there when I was born. Like, oh, that would have been the mid-50s, right? Right. 
And there was no Mahon Point, so there was no Douglas Shopping Centres, everything. You had to go to town. Everyone had to go to town, gravitate towards town, because there was nothing else there. You had to go to town. And you can imagine Christmas week when this happened, what if you close all the shopping centres out there no night and everyone had to go Christmas week into town, you couldn't walk at the stage if that happened no right. Yeah. So town was absolutely jammed that time, like I mean, all day, every day, right? And also you go to stores, there the canopy just to pull out there, just use it in the the, the summer for the keep the sun off of the doors and things in the window and then for shelter for the, the rain and the winter. So I was standing there with my mum and she was talking to another lady who was dressed up like him in little court with his hat on me. And there was another young fellow with his mother, but similar build, same height, same age, the whole lot, right? And you know the way you can get to kind of just move away slightly like from your mother or father, like in a crowd and all of a sudden like I mean you're lost. You know, and that's what happened to me. Next thing, a hand just came out, and obviously, I gravitated towards the hand being a child, thinking it was my mother. And we got on the bus, and we got on the bus, and of course, being a four year old, I was looking out the window. And next thing, the woman turned to me, and she says, You're not my child. And I says, You're not my man. <laughs> so she probably screamed it though. You're not my child. That's <laughs> right. And, uh, there was towards the country with you know, all the women and the boss are all turning, they were all looking, they said, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? <laughs> and um, she says, my, this is my son, this is my son, where's my son, where's my son? So anyway, she went up and she said, she actually wanted the, the boss, man, I remember this, it's a, a, a great memory, and she wanted the boss to turn back and he said, we can't do that, Mrs. So How said, was that, the number seven to Douglas, was it? Yeah, yeah, we had to get off the bus and you know, wait for the next one anyway to come into town. So we, by the time we got through the traffic and got in, anyway, the, the girls had been called and my mother and her friend were outside with, with that woman's son, right, all waiting. <laughs> so I was, I was reunited with my, my mother and he, he was reunited with his mother. And then we went and lived happily ever after. But I, I often wonder, and I said to you the last time there, if I was that identical looking, and if I'd have got away with it, like, I mean, what kind of a different life would I have? That's I right, I could be playing golf up in Douglas now, you know, and I could have been, you know, uh, got on, and drinking in berries, which are good self and whatever. <laughs> I'm quite sure that your mother on a number of occasions said to you years later, when you were a very bold boy, that she should have let the woman Douglas keep you. <laughs> Oh, yeah, sure, you know, the way that time the big, the, the big bogey man was, I'll give you away. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you almost did. <laughs> good man, John. Thanks for resharing the story. Caroline, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How That's are the you? kind of um, thing we're talking about. What happened? Um, 20, 21 years ago, um, I went into mother care. I bought a blue um, check buggy. So um, my son was six weeks old. We made our way to Rocha stores into the centre. And, of course, I started to look at perfumes and bits and put my buggy aside. So eventually, after a while, I decided to wheel my buggy away and I'm down to Merchant's Quay to go to his first Santa, to get his first photograph <laughs> the six weeks. So I had a mini Santa. His name is Jim, incidentally, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're kidding me. And um, into Merchant's Quay and away into the queue, um, upstairs for the Santa, and uh, the girl turned around she says, get your baby prepared now for his first photograph. And I was all excited. I had him in the Santa suit. So I went to take him out the buggy and stuff. And I left the screen. I said, that's not my baby. That's not my baby. So everyone started coming towards me and they were saying, no, no, your baby is fine. He's there. I was saying, that's not my baby. Someone took my baby. Did they think I that you might have been unwell or something like? 
Yes, they thought obviously Needle was something wrong with me, but I kept saying to them, no, I know there's a baby, but it's not my baby. You couldn't so get people to believe you, like, God <laughs> I almighty. said, my, my baby is in a Santa suit. I, it's his first Christmas, and I need to get it for, I want my baby back, I was screaming. So eventually people were consoling in the security. I would come over, and he said, well, last why I'm there. I said, I went into Rocha stores to buy two little gifts, and I was looking at the perfumes, and my buggy was there, and he started making calls, and make a long story short, we had it back that way in the and I was like, in bits. I was your heart must have been in your mouth with fear. So I was saying, it's mother care buggy, I bought it, it's only new, I was explaining everything, and there's a baby back, back into Rocha stores, and I saw a big crowd, and a circling another lady, and I heard her saying, no, no, it's not mine. <laughs> Caroline, come on. <laughs> I was like, there's something going on. And then she was saying, your man was saying, wait a while, we can hear voices there or something. She was saying, no, my baby had a blue jumper. And he had... Um, this baby's in a Santa suit, it's not my baby. we had the same buggy. We had the same buggies. So tell me, about, tell me about the moment when you reunited with the other woman and the babies got swapped. Oh, yeah. The two buggies and we came from Mother Care, they're both the same. So the, the, the crowd kind of uh, split and the two of us were just standing. I'll never forget it, me 21 years ago, in the middle of the floor. We were crying, we were shaking. We ran towards each other, looked at the two boys and went, Oh my God, thank God. And we were like, sorry, sorry. It was the buggies. And you know another thing, it was his first Christmas and I was all built up for his little Santa suit and she was saying, it's my fault. And I was saying, it's my fault. And then we just hugged each other and the security fellow said, get these two ladies a coffee. And they united with their babies. It was the two buggies. I tell you something, Roach's stores were the cause of an awful lot of confusion down Mm, through the years. That time again, Neil, as what was said there ago, you had double the amount of people because everyone was running to the same place where we have a different variety now and we're different ways of getting there. Oh but God. it was a Christmas I never I look back on the forum when it was six weeks and I just say someone else could have had you. Oh absolutely oh, oh listen, I know that anything could have happened. Let's not even go there. But like and it's funny of for me, I can laugh at it, but you weren't laughing at the time. No. Oh no, when the girl said set him up for his photograph, she was then I was sitting like a fool in the in the queue waiting with him in the buggy not knowing that this is not my child like waiting when she said preparing for the first photograph Santa I know I, did, I know. I looked in twice there was no Santa suit there was another I can imagine the shock Caroline <laughs> thanks for sharing that hold on I'm going to try and squeeze in as much as I can Alan good morning in a second let me get my act together here because I'm very busy this morning gotcha now Alan morning so you were a young lad uh, a young country boy was it? That's it, yeah. yeah. All right, okay. And it was around, around about the time of the Holy Communion. And again, Rocha stores causing confusion. Go ahead. Rocha stores, that's right, yeah. So I was up at the mother in the city and um, we were inside Rocha stores and I think we were actually doing the shopping for the communion outfit at the time. Um, anyway, make a long story short, of course, I broke away from the mother and went away doing my own thing. And I was, yeah, I, I must have been the best part of an hour away from her and I realised I was last. And of course, the bottom lips started going, and then the tears started coming. Sorry, I missed you there. People were talking to me in my ear. Did you say how old you were? I was about I communion. I was about seven years of age. Okay, it? all right. Okay, and wandering then, around Roche's stores, right? Wandering around Roche's stores, I'm tired after losing the mother. And um, of course, when I last, when I realised I was last, in the bottom lips started going, and the tears started flowing and whatnot. And um, I was looking around anyway, and. Oh jeez, I'll never forget it. Do you remember the old Rocha stores branding with the red blocks and the name? And so, anyway, how long the, ago are we talking here? 
Jesus, I'm t- 31 years ago. Okay. All right. I'm with you. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. And um, I spotted a face I, re- I recognized across the way. Jessica Fletcher, Angela Lensbury. <laughs> a photograph of the real person? No, the real person. She was there. She was She was walking around with some, I don't know who he was. Was he a husband? I don't know. Whatever, whoever he was. And of course, I started shouting across there, Jessica, Jessica. So I used to love the show when I was a kid. You were a fan of Murder, she wrote. Oh, and there she is in the flesh. There she was in the flesh. And of course, she saw the tears and everything. She came over and asked me if I was all right. And I told her my story. It was after getting lost and couldn't find my mother and all this. And she brought me around for a while to see if we could find her. And so we were chatting and I was telling her about my communion coming up and how we were neighbours because I lived in Nakadoon and she lived in Belly Cotton and so on and so forth. Yeah. And um, that was kind of After a while, in there, eventually she went up to the, the, the desk and they made a tannoy announcement. And my mother eventually arrived about 10 minutes later she had been everywhere she'd been in Merchant's Key and everybody looking for me she was still mad for the cakes and so it was a cafe Kyle Moore was that's right you're spot on yeah, yeah great spot she, she reckoned that's where I went to but, and then she came back to where she last had me which was Rochester Stores and then yeah, she called me and yeah, make a long story short again um, Angela Lensbury she turned around and she gave me 20 pounds for a communion I thought I was minted 20 pounds <laughs> 20 pounds fortune over, to yeah. a child and even back yeah. what 30-odd years ago, it was a fortune. Yeah, absolutely. Wait, wait a second, what did your mother say when she realised that you were with Jessica Fletcher, a.k.a. Angela Lansbury? Uh, to be honest with you, I'd say she was more kind of flabbergasted that she found me than she was with, with Angela Lansbury. But they had, they, I remember they were chatting away and sure I had no more interest in it. At that stage, they had me £20. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and do you recall any of the conversations with her? Just the communion and keeping you calm, I suppose. Yeah, and I was talking about Billy Cotton and um, Cabot Cove, you know, and I was, <laughs> being a child, I thought Cabot Cove was Billy Cotton, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Oh, like, my God. You know, like, yeah, she's, yeah. Angela Lansbury is is still alive. She's 96 years okay, young. Yeah. And yeah, she's, oh, still, yeah. she's still in East Cork, isn't she? I think she moved away recently, Neil. I could be wrong. I'm sure she sold the house. I, I didn't could be know wrong, though, but I think she did, yeah. I, I think, didn't I know think that. she went to yeah, I think she went. She went home to to retire. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I tell I you something. So. I just tell you something about that. If you don't mind, hogging your limelight It's a fabulous story. But my wife and daughter went to a function down in Ballymaloo. There was a gig on down there. Um, mm-hmm. Not quite sure what the gig was, but they met Angela Lansbury there, and this is about four or five years ago. And they sat with her and had a chat with her, and she was okay she's with photographs sociable. and selfies. Yeah. What a beautiful woman. She is, she's, she's very sociable, because a couple of years later, I was working in a pub out in Ballinrostig as a young fella, just on weekends and things like that. Do you remember the film that was on in Belly Cotton, Divine Rapture? It got cancelled, didn't it? That's right. Martin yeah, Brando, she, wasn't it? That's right, and all those, they were all inside the pub one night, and Angela was with them. And I remember telling the story about uh, Roach's, uh, Roach's stores and how she found me, and how she acted like she remembered whether she did or not. I uh, she definitely it. would remember yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fantastic that you were reunited with her years later to share the story. That's an incredible story. Alan, I, I, I love the stories and we'll have more of them tomorrow, but that's a cracking story. There's a 500 euro voucher in it for you for the furniture centre on the Watercourse Road in Blackpool. Get a beautiful piece of furniture or whatever you want, bring it down to East Cork. What do you think of that? Fabulous, absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. So that's 520 quid I'm up. <laughs> You're all 520 quid and maybe a little bit more with interest. Do you recall what the little 20 year old spent the 20 pounds on? Do you know what? I think I bought a pitch and put uh, set after after the communion. Say it went towards that. 
I was playing pitch and put blowing cart leg in white kit. Great story. Thank you, Alan, for sharing. I love it. I just would love to find out if Angela Lansbury is still amongst us or whether she has moved on. I'm fairly certain I heard All right, pal. Listen, appreciate the story. Thanks so much. Great story. So that's the kind of story we're looking for tomorrow, Friday, for our fifth and final 500 euro voucher, courtesy of ourselves and the Furniture Centre on the Watercourse Road in Blackpool. Um, you know, they're kind of brain freeze moments, or in, in this case, uh, mothers who lost babies or, you know, toddlers who lost mammies. But keep them coming. And of course, the centre of all of this, time after time after time, is. Roaches stores. Our lines will stay open on 0818104106. You can text 0868104106 with the stories, or indeed, if you have a story to share, you can do it by email, neil at redfm.ie. Just the last few texts before I leave you with regards to wearing pajamas in public. Um, the cafe owner is dead right. Talk about completely giving up on life if you can't get dressed up to go out to breakfast, says Shauna. Helen says, Pajamas are for wearing in bed. It takes some amount of time to put on actual clothes. I think that's actually in defence of pyjamas. When people get dressed up, when people get up, dress up. Never appear in public without being dressed. End of. And of course, we're finding out this morning as well, with clean underwear, please. Supermarkets need to stop this habit. I'm fed up of seeing people walking around supermarkets in their pyjamas. I just don't understand it. Uh, the only time I brought uh, that I have brought my kids to a restaurant in pyjamas and a dressing gown, was on the way back from hospital with my youngest. She was starving, so we got her favourite food, and I apologised to the staff on arrival and explained, and they said, no hassle. That was the only one time I ever dared to do it. And one more for now. Um, would they go to work if they have a job, which I suspect they haven't, in their pyjamas? I think not so. So it's not acceptable by any stretch of the imagination. Try turning up to work in pyjamas. Well, in this ever more tolerant world, maybe it would be acceptable. I don't know. I love you and leave you. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.